Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I'm Chance Ellison. I'm Russell Howe. And this is George by Chance, where we come and talk all things movies, television, entertainment, streaming, all that good shit. See, I, f- I figured out how to do it finally. Uh, and this week, we doing something we haven't really done before. I mean, we did the stand last year, but that doesn't doesn't quite count. Uh, we actually took the time to review a TV show. Uh, yeah, with The Mandalorian season one around the corner, we decided to take a look at uh, we decided to take a look at the first season. So you know, maybe we can do some stuff with that once we're dropping week to week. That way, Russell's finally you know, he's finally seen it. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, not to mention we have special guest Alex Damon joining us to do that. Uh, he's not here yet, but uh, we'll be here for the review section of the show. For right now, it's just us. Uh, a little throwback. We haven't, we haven't just done this just us in a little while. Yeah, it's nice. Nice to go back to uh, the OGs. <laughs> I mean, we'll be going back to the OGs like basically permanently in like about a week, about two weeks. But you know, it's, it's nice in, in an era where we had like coordinate between three people. It's nice to just have like two of us going back and forth again. Uh, so, yeah. uh, I mean, we you know you know you know how we do. Actually, before we do get into anything, there's some there's some like real world. As you know, we will take the time to talk about real world things. And that's major. Some really big things happened uh, over the last couple couple days. Uh, first of which, what was the biggest story in the second thing we're going to talk about? Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. Uh, this was this was weirdly shocking because I did not believe I didn't think Ruth, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was capable of dying. Like I thought this one was going to be around for the rest of time. It just seemed she's had like this resilience to her that this resilience and this drive that you rarely see in anybody, let alone someone who was like in what mid eighties. Yeah. Uh, every I mean, I don't need to tell you who she is, what she's done, because she is, she is, she changed the landscape of the legal system for, I mean, for I mean for women especially, but just for people in general. I mean. She was, she was a trailblazer. She was an icon, and she's someone who just commanded respect everywhere she went. She was an incredible, incredible person. And yeah, I mean, this is this year's not getting any better, Russell. It's not getting any better. It's uh, yeah, definitely not. Yeah, twenty twenty has just been a uh, just a rough year. Uh. From start to to finish, here right? you know, we still uh, have three it, months it left. Started, you know? It started off. It started off good. It started off pretty good. At least I think. Yeah. Well, I I should say the first three months, and then yeah, then yeah, the first three months were great. Everything after. Yeah. It's like it's like we entered a really bad marriage. We didn't know it at the time. Man, it's yeah, just just an awful stretch of six months. But yeah, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, man, it's the, I was. It w- I didn't even know when it broke. I just remember I text PJ. Like, I, I, was, I was in the gym. I was working out at the time. But, like, I text PJ. <laughs> it's like, hey, yeah, what's going on? I was just like, I'm really, just, like, sad with the Ruth Bader Ginsburg thing. I'm like, what what happened? Did she, like, she, did, did Trump find a way to fire her? Or, like, what'd she do? He's like, no, dude, she, she she died. I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, like, I was, I was shocked, man. I really was. Yeah, uh, it's it's crazy because the last year uh, just uh, happened to see the uh, on the basis of sex, which if you listeners haven't listened to it, it's the you know this or haven't watched I should say, um, it's the story of her like you know meeting her husband and just the things that she did for the legal system. Um, also, that she got the documentary R B G, uh, really fascinating documentary 
um, really eye-opening the things that she did and just the kind of how you said the resilience of, of this, this tiny lady that, um, you know, just had the heart of a, you know, a t- you know, champion, you know what I mean? She's very, you know, uh, just very, you know, uh, you know, not, not, uh, you know, very outspoken, you know, very, uh, you know, opinionated, but she, you know, she may be short, but she made it up for it with her bite. You know what I mean? Like she just was very. Oh, she, she was, was like a trouble trailblazer. Most, in that. She was the most like unassuming old lady, and she was adorable. Yeah, but she, <laughs> she, she, she was feisty, man. She really was. Yeah, it's crazy because she had just been diagnosed with. Uh, she was in remission, I think. I thought from cancer, and then I think it came back. I guess, but um, yeah, because like I said last year. Two, uh, you know, two films. One, you know, one motion picture and one documentary came out about her. So it was a, it was a big 2019 for her. So yeah, definitely 18, seek those uh, movies out for sure. Yeah, no, you, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you were, like I said, you're a trailblazer, and you will, you've already gone down in history, but you will continue to be in history, just I guess forever, really. I mean, you're, I, I don't think anybody. You could ask like fifty people, name a Supreme Court justice. I think the most people will probably say Ruth, Get- Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Cause I don't think anybody can name any yeah. other any other person. So uh, rest in rest in peace, ma'am. You were phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal woman. The other piece of news that happened this is just a few days ago. Uh, it was the results, the verdict of the Breonna Taylor case. And in case you, I'm sure you know, but in case you don't. Uh, Breonna Taylor was a woman who was a victim of a police shooting, but, not, but it's not like it's police brutality, but it's not like this one was different in the sense that it's not like she was like out and about. It's not like she was doing something wrong, which uh, admittedly very few, pol- very few victims of police brutality are. Uh, but this was different because cops literally like bust into her house and they bust into her house under, because there was an, they were looking for like a suspect in a drug case. Uh, they were in the wrong place to begin with. They had, they had no business being in her apartment, and just without warning, just shot her five times. Like three three officers killed this woman. Uh, verdict was rendered a few days ago, and uh, to the surprise, the sadly surprise of nobody, uh, not none of them convict, none of convicted for murder. The only thing is one officer was one officer was charged with I think like a, a, it's like weapons misuse re- reckless endangerment something, something like that something uh, like because yeah. bullets he shot went to the neighbor's wall which excuse me uh yeah it was I th- this verdict is it's a slap in the face is what this is uh, you had this woman who was, I mean, like I said, she was a good person. She was either trained to be an EMT or she was an EMT. I don't, I don't fully remember. But she was just like, she was doing nothing. She was in her bed. She was sleeping. These three white dudes bust into her ha- bust into her apartment, shoot her, kill her. And they're more upset about the, I think, so, I, think I saw it on the sign. Like, like, they got punished for the shots they missed, essentially. Yeah. And I think I think it's bullshit. Yeah, really, it's it's bullshit, man. It really is. And I wish I could say I'm shocked because we, we've seen we've seen countless cases like this just dropped, 
dropped in a court of law. Like I think like I think of like George Zimmerman uh when he was when he was uh let off for killing Trevor Martin or um that cop who killed the kid was just because he had a toy gun. Uh he he got, he got off no charges. It's the I don't think the cops who murdered George Floyd uh got charged got convicted of murder in that case. But yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's really. I mean, it's really head 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 scratching for sure. I don't, you know, just it's the you know it's a sad time that you know we live in now. It just it's it's really crazy. Yeah, it, it's it sucks. And I mean, one positive thing I think about is like I I haven't heard any ca- like major case of rioting in this case. Like usually when a verdict no, like this happens, really people, usually when a verdict like this happens, people are pissed, and understandably so, because yeah, I mean you gotta yeah. understand. I mean, am I am I condoning riots? Absolutely not. But what I will say, like, do I understand people who are pissed? Absolutely, because is being a per- being a black person myself, like, it's just it sucks to see a system that's it feels like it's designed against us, and it feels like it feels like we are never put in a place where we can ever get real justice, and it's not to see. And yeah, it does it does make you angry. Which is why, which is why things like, I mean, I mean, things like the like the Rodney King riots back in the '90s happened. Like this, these things just keep happening because it, it's just a, it's just a cycle of history. It, it just keeps going on and on and on. And yeah, it, it sucks. Uh, Breonna Taylor, I'm, I'm sorry that justice didn't come to you. I mean. Maybe, maybe, maybe it will. Maybe it won't. I'm not sure. But either way, this, like, we we failed you today. Like, people as a whole failed you, and I think that's the worst part of it. But that's the worst part of any of this. Uh, I, yeah, I'm I'm really, I'm at a loss, man. I really am. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things where it's like, yeah, kind of how you said, you know, we're we're always doomed to repeat you know, ourselves and, uh, until we learn from it, you know what I mean? And it's like, when will we learn from it? You know, thing is, like, thing is like, we're, we're currently not learning a lesson. Like that's the biggest yeah. problem. We are currently not learning a lesson and we've been yeah. not learning a lesson for the better part of, well, I guess America. Now I think about it, but yeah, it's just, and it's, it's disheartening that it really, it really is. And I, I do think that, when people talk about you know reform the like reform and defund the police, this is the kind this is a reform of the justice just system. This is the kind of shit we're talking about because like mm-hmm. this this should not happen. Like this is like this is ridiculous because you know you know that if it was three black cops who shot a white woman, they'd all be in jail, maybe get the death penalty. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and it's just, it's fucking it's 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 ridiculous, man. So. Yeah, uh, and it, like well, again, Black Black Lives Matter, uh, Black Lives Matter reform the police. Just do something. We're look, we're in the we're in the home stretch. We are literally in the home stretch to get that fucker out of office. So we're we're so close. We can almost taste it. <sighs> but yeah, that's uh, you know, that's that's where we that's kind of where we end our you know, serious. So that's where we get our we take our serious mask off, and then we get that fun again. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know how to transition for that, but here we go. Uh, moving on to, of course, uh, tra- our trailer talk. Uh, first trailer we're talking about. It, we actually have like a 
pretty interesting crop today. Uh, first of which is for, you know, I'm going to start with, with uh, the worst one I think we have today is The Croods 2. Okay. A movie that I never thought was going to happen ever. Because they were talking about The Croods 2 like, for, for years, man. The first one came out in two, 2013. I think the sequel has been slated for like every year since... I, w- I want to say it's like every year since 2015. Like they've been trying to get this thing out forever. Okay, here we go. So, uh, previously scheduled for November 2017, then December 2017, September t- September 2020, and then December 2020. So they've been thanks, COVID. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, no, no. They were they were ahead of the A ball, way, way ahead of the A ball with COVID. <laughs> like they were moving around well, before like... that even happened. It, it, it really it's kind of like the animated New Mutants. Yeah, they're like, no, but we're really getting it this year. <laughs> we're serious. We promise. Uh, they don't believe us. Okay, fine. Put out a trailer. So, yeah, we have our first trailer for The Croods, too. Uh, oh, the no. New Age. Or, sorry, A New Age. Uh, this sees our uh, favorite Stone Age family uh, encounter the Bettermans, the, I guess, evolved version of humans, which this is the first family. So where the fuck did these guys come from? Just... <laughs> Uh yeah, uh Nicholas Cage, Emma Stone, Ryan Reynolds, and uh Catherine Keener. Oh, and Clark Leachman all come back to reprise their role, which oh and Clark Duke, which my god. They so many people in this movie. And also uh introduces Peter Dinklage, Leslie Mann, and uh, Kelly Marie Tran as the Bettermans. Uh Russell, what you think of the trailer for Croods too? Because I'm 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 not gonna lie. I was confused. I was confused as a hell. Yeah, I mean the Trailer didn't really make much sense when I was watching it. I kind of, I really was kind of like just watching it and listening to it. You know what I mean? Like listening to it in the foreground. Like I was kind of like zoned out. Um, yeah, I, I mean, this is a thing. This is actually happening. Um, yeah, I remember. I remember seeing the first Cruise and it was okay. Like I didn't didn't really think. I mean, it really warranted a sequel. The first Cruise is, um, is like aggressively fine. Like it's. Yeah, it's okay. It's not something I would be like, oh, well, we're going to get, we want another one. I'm like, yeah, okay. Um, but I mean, sure. I mean, I know I'll probably end up taking Ella to go see this or I'll probably just wait till VOD because I'm sure this might probably end up being on VOD. Yeah, um, probably. I, I don't know. But yeah, sure. Whatever. Yeah, this is just a weird ass <laughs> trailer. It's long as fuck, too. It's just like three minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I was really surprised. Yeah. Uh yeah I I don't know what to make of this one this is uh I mean if you like the Croods which is I don't know I, I, I don't know how big an audience this this thing has how would the first Croods do let's find out uh oh yeah it actually did very well 135 million uh <laughs> to 175 million dollar budgets uh gross 587 wow yeah it's so, that much money wow it it it, it did like re- it did like reasonably well <laughs> so I I'd have to justify the sequel. That's crazy. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I know it came out. And I remember watching it. I just didn't think it had that big of a, of a, of a hit. So look, if you're if you're a fan of this franchise, all six of you. Well, I shouldn't yeah. say that because all five hundred eighty-two million dollars worth of you, wherever you are, because I don't, I can't find them. Uh, there you go. Uh, November twenty-fifth, twenty twenty. Uh, next year we're talking about is for you have a good bunch of indies to talk about right now. Uh, first of which is the place of no words. This is—I don't really know how to describe this movie. It's like a—it's a—it's a kid's like meditative fantasy, 
almost. That's that's, that's kind of what it reads as. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. Let me see if I can find a premise of this thing. Uh, a young a young boy battles the complexities of a grown up world with his father. Okay, first of all, that's just. I thought I I thought the main kid was a girl. I'm just I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, main kid. Am, am I the only one that got where the wild things are vibes? I did, which I I do like where the wild things are. I think that's like yeah. I, that, think that I, I mean, good. I got some huge vibes on that, like especially with the at the end with the the characters kind of look the same almost. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think visually this thing looks. It, yeah. They put together like some really creative stuff, but uh, Russell, yeah. what do you think of this trailer? I mean, kind of just what I said. I mean, it was like one of those wa- where the wild things are. Um, I, it it's like real meta. I, I I don't know how to really explain it. Um, I, I don't know. Is it like Tree of Life meets where the wild things are type thing? I I don't know. A little, 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 little like, bit of a uh, bridge Terabithia. Yeah, I mean, it just it's really. I just don't. I, I don't know. It just looks different. You know what I mean? It's it looks different visually. I mean, it looked it looked nice. I mean, it definitely looked, you know, appealing, but um, yeah, just just different, just a different vibe. Um, and I don't know where we go with this one. Like, I don't know, is this going to be like dark? Because it, it does touch with, you know, it does kind of touch on like a darker matter of like what happens. Like, where do we go when we die? You know what I mean? Because even how the trailer ends. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm curious enough about it, I guess, but I just don't know the the, the tone or the vibe we're going for in this. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean that's a good award. I am definitely curious. Check this out. Um, yeah, and uh, it's set for. I don't think I, I don't remember seeing a release on this thing. I'm not gonna. Look, I'm not gonna bother to go look. Go search up for it. If you want to see this movie, uh, you're gonna you're gonna see it. This, this feels like a very you know this feels like this feels like a very Zach Ford movie. Oh yeah, <laughs> he's probably anticipating this for for months. I'm sure. Probably. Uh, yeah. next year we're talking about is for Synchronic. So Synchronic is a sci-fi movie. Uh, it's directed by the two, the duo that did the endless, which I did. I did like the endless. I, I will, I will admit that. If you haven't seen that, uh, go check, go check it out. It's actually quite good. Uh, this is a movie about two paramedics, uh, played by both Anthony Mackie and Jamie Dornan. Uh, when they, you know, they call for a series of uh, gruesome accidents. They chalk out to mis- they chalk out to this mysterious new drug they find at the scene. But uh, when one of their daughters disappear, uh, Anthony Mackie's character, uh, he stumbles upon the truth about the psychedelic drug, and kind of throws his perception of reality into question. And I will say, this movie, this movie looks fantastic. Like I yeah, am, absolutely. I am so incredibly like behind whatever this is because it looks like really like trippy and really crazy. Anthony Mackie looks like a really good performance. Jamie Dornan looks like he's doing really good. I, I I'm actually really really into this movie. What do you think? Yeah, kind of what you said. I mean, it, it it's one of those out there like acid trip sci-fi films. Uh, it, it looks it looks really good and kind of just what you said. Just from the, you know, just the, from the scenes that we had seen, it, it really looks like it's gonna, definitely out there. Um, but it looks good, and yeah, Jamie Dornan's not doing another Fifty Shades movie, so that's that's great. So and maybe thank, he'll leave his clothes God, on this and one. Thank God for that. <laughs> <laughs> Unless I do that, I think I think Yael actually wrote a fourth book too, which is sad. Oh uh, boy, she might have, or Stephanie might have wrote a New Twilight, or both. It might have been both. But yeah, oh, God. why not? Cause, yeah, because why not? Um, 
But uh, yeah, uh, got really good reviews out of out of TIFF, so I'm looking forward to that. And uh, set for probably a VOD release October 23rd, 2020. It says in theaters in the trailer, but come on, <laughs> let's be real. Come on, we know we know better than that. <laughs> you're not gonna you're not gonna get us, movie. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, uh, next trailer we're talking about is for, uh, Supernova. So, Supernova, the title for this is very deceptive. At least, I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna straight up. I thought yeah. this was about something completely different. Turns out this oh, is yeah, a romance drama, uh, in which, uh, Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci play partners, and one of them, the Stanley Tucci's character, uh, is diagnosed with early onset dementia. Uh, again, not at all what I thought it was gonna be based on the title, but this looks this movie looks really sweet, like and like really, it, it looks like a really lovely movie. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I don't know what is it with like gay films. I'm always on board because they look so damn. They're always so damn good. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. um, uh, kind of what you said, Supernova. I thought this was gonna be a sci-fi movie. Definitely not a sci-fi film. Um, you get really great performances. It looks like from Tucci and Colin Firth. Looks really really good. Um. I mean, I'm, I was completely on board when I saw the trailer. I was like, "Yeah, I, I definitely want to see this." Oh, absolutely! I think it looks great. It's like, like I said, I, I, it's a pairing that I never thought about, but now I, I see it. I'm like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of into this." Uh, it it is weird. Like for a while, you don't really know which one has dementia. Yeah, and then Colin, for, but but then again, you know, Colin Firth also played a uh, a homosexual and uh, a single man, single which man. was a really great film. Oh, by and Tom also Ford. and also um, the Mamma Mia films. I think I believe his character's gay. Yeah. So yeah. Well, he's really been. Yeah. Okay then. Um, but yeah, I, I like I said, I I'm I'm totally on board with this one. This is probably one of the, uh, what, what, uh, out of the trailer set, probably one of my favorites. Oh, absolutely! Like it's it's just incredibly this is incredibly like beautiful trailer for yeah. what uh, what looks like a very beautiful movie. I I I'm, I for one can't wait to see it. I definitely want to check it out whenever yeah. it's out. Yep. And uh, yeah, set for a release. Uh, set for a release. Uh, Okay, UK release November twenty seventh, twenty twenty. It's probably about round, probably around the same time for the US. Uh, and uh, okay, the last uh, last movie trailer we're talking about today is for Sound of Metal. Uh, Sound of Metal is a movie in which Riz Ahmed plays a heavy metal drummer who uh, he goes deaf, and it's all about him kind of coping with that. Uh, so it stars it co-stars him and Olivia Cook. Uh, Russell, what did you think of the trailer for Sound of Metal? Kind of like, you know, back to back with Supernova. I think this looks really good too. Um, you know, Amazon Prime's putting this out. Um, I think it looks fantastic. I like the, the feel of it. I like how, you know, they even like, you know, uh, kind of like mellow out the sound. So you like, you're like experiencing what he's experiencing, which I kind of like. It really puts you into that feel of being deaf. Um, I just, I just think it looks fantastic. I, I, I really do. It's, it's something different that we, you know, we, we do see, but we don't see it as in depth. Like, yeah, you've seen a little bit with the Star Is Born. He had, you know, hearing problems and stuff like that. Yeah, you do see it touched upon in movies, but not to this extreme. Also, I think. And it's like a very like real thing musicians deal with. Like, I think, I think like, yeah. Bill, I think like Bill Clinton and Pete Townsend of the Who, both of them had to deal with like hearing loss because of all like the years of playing music, and that, that's why, that's why like. They people buy a lot of musicians, and like you see a lot of musicians like wearing earplugs, because yeah. like that much, that much like sound hitting your ear, like eventually it's going to deteriorate. When you're playing like a genre like metal, which is like a lot of like 
like bang, crash, like a lot of just heavy sounds that could that could really deteriorate you. And yeah, uh, Riz Ahmed, he looks fantastic in this film. He's he's a re- he's a really good actor. I, I always like seeing him and stuff. That's not Venom. Uh, it's <laughs> Olivia Cook is unrecognizable in this trailer. I, I for a while I didn't realize it was her. Yeah, I, I didn't either. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's getting really good. Again, another movie is getting really good reviews at a TIFF. Uh, set for a, uh, and also like I do, I do appreciate, I, I do appreciate that like uh, we're bringing more death stories to light because you know for a while it was Helen Carol, Helen Keller, and whatever. But you know we have a quiet place, and uh, like I said, Stars yeah. Born catches on like hearing loss. Yeah. Uh, we got this, and I. We got we're gonna get our first deaf character in the MCU, which uh, Lauren Rid- Lauren Ridloff, the actress who's playing that character, she's in this movie. Uh, so I think oh. I think that's cool, and yeah, uh, yeah uh, it picked up by Amazon Prime, and it's set for a November twentieth, twenty twenty release. So that's gonna do it for our uh, trailer talk. But we now move on to notorious news. And speaking of co- and speaking of COVID. Uh, oh boy! So so much has happened, especially in the world of in the wonderful world of Disney, <laughs> regarding this news, uh, because oh they had a ton of date shifts, like so. The, honestly, it's just so many. So here, here's everything that happened. So first of all, Death of the Nile, was previously dated for October twenty third, twenty twenty, moves to uh, December eighteenth, twenty twenty. Uh, the Empty Man, whatever the hell that is. Uh, was previously dated for twelve uh, December fourth, twenty twenty. Actually moved up to uh, October twenty third, twenty twenty. Given the fact that I have no idea what that movie is, I means it's probably going to go to some kind of streaming service. Uh, Black Widow moved completely out of twenty twenty. Uh, moved from November sixth to f- uh, May seventh, twenty twenty one. Eternals, which was previously dated for well, it was previously dated for November of this year. Then it moved to February of next year. It moved again from to November 5th, 2021. Wow. Uh, Shang-Chi and Legend of the Ten Rings previously. Man, they had a prime slot. Like, oh, man, man we, got a mo- we, got a, we got a Marvel movie. And now we're going to be the prime slot summer 2020 opening weekend of May. Uh, sorry, buddy. Moved to, moved to July 9th, 2021. Uh, there was some untitled Disney event film, which was slated for uh, July 9th, 2021, but that was removed from the schedule. Uh, my gut, my, my instincts say that's Little Mermaid, because I don't know what else that would be, unless they had some like animated film they weren't telling us about. But my, my gut says that was Little Mermaid. Uh, Deep Water, the, uh, I believe that's a, that's a Tom McCarthy. It's either Tom McCarthy or the Ben Affleck, Ana de Armas uh, on a, on a Darmus Adrian Lynn movie. Let me let me find out what is that movie. Uh, Deep Water. Oh, that was okay. That was the Ben Affleck on a Darmus meet and fall meet and fall in love movie. Uh, that was previously dated for uh, uh November thirteenth, twenty twenty. Moves all uh, moves way way back to August thirteenth, twenty twenty one. Uh, another another untitled 20th century Fox film was taken on the schedule entirely. West Side Story moves o- almost an entire year from December 18th, 2020 to December t- 10th, 2021. And uh, The King's Man was previously dated for uh, February 26th, 2021. It actually moved up a few days to February 12th, 2021. 
So, yeah. Uh, I, we kind of talked about this last week with Abby. I mean, we knew that any Disney movie was going to like wait out for theaters. Definitely be Black Widow. Yeah, I mean, that made sense. But with this move out of here, like this, this makes 2020 the first year since 2009 to have no MCU movies. Like none, yeah. none whatsoever. Again, I mean, this is you know this is a whole unprecedented you know time that we're living in. I think you know you you and I have been talking about it for the last what six months since uh, the whole COVID you know hit. Um, it's just it's it's, it's the waiting game. They want to play, kind of want to you know stake out and see what's going to happen, but with really no end in sight with this. And you know fall you know already here now, winter you know vastly approaching. It's like. Uh, you know what? What do we do? <laughs> you you saw well, obviously you know we make fun of it with you know Nolan you know staying steadfast and not like wanting to uh, you know relinquish the July release date, um, and how the numbers of Tenet is not what Christopher Nolan I think and, and other people like ourselves really envisioned what that was going to make. So I, I think this is just un- you know this is uncharted waters right now. You know, it's crazy though. First time and yeah. That long without an MCU movie—that's that's crazy to think about that. Uh, yeah, West Side Story. West Side Story is for me that's the interesting one because that moving an entire year away. First of all, yeah. I mean, well, first of all, uh, Deep Water, same thing. Moving, moving. Um, was it nine months to uh, to next August? Mm-hmm. That tells me that they're probably really happy with it. They could see it could see it getting a big Oscar push, so they they want to you know, hold yeah. off on that. And I guess they kind of want to they kind of want to save the Ben Affleck on a Darmus love story, so it's fun, it's cool, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, what's that story is the inter- the interesting one for me because, I mean, you look at that. Well, actually, Death and Isle too, because that for some reason did not move out of twenty twenty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, you're just gonna wait a couple months, okay? Which now I think they're now the same release date as Dune. Yeah, no, same day as Dune now. Which again, I mean, look, still holding yeah. fast, still holding. Oh man, it's gonna get it's gonna get the bump it's, sooner or it's later. Gonna, it's I, gonna I, get bumped at some point. I don't know when, but it's gonna get bumped. Don't want it to, but yeah, it's it's. I mean, you know, and you even think about it like from this perspective. Like, think about it like from like as of right now. Like we're in like we're almost into October. It's like we really didn't have a big blockbuster. We had no block big blockbusters. Well, I mean, we did. It just came out in January. <laughs> Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Uh, it's like it's really crazy to think that. Like, like there's no like the highest, one big huge movie. The highest grossing movie this year is still one that came out in January. Which which one's that? Bad Boys for Life. Oh wow, that's still crazy. I still think honestly if we're doing the best of the year though, I still think Invisible Man takes my takes my top spot. Uh mine go mine goes the right now it's the five bloods. Um Yeah. I still I mean, there's still a, a bunch I do appreciate the fact that this is really, and I think I told you about this though. Um, we're getting a lot of like these indie movies that, that not necessarily like would we ever ever get. You know what I mean? Um, like uh, what the hell is coming out tomorrow? Like that. Um, what the hell is that one that we did a trailer review on? It's coming out tomorrow. Um, Kajillionaire. I think that's coming oh, out tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a bunch of different like like indie movies that like never. I mean, they're, you know never, I mean? they're, they're definitely like, getting more. Sh- see the light of day. They're getting more shine now because there's no there's no tent poles to overshadow them. Yeah, like tomorrow, literally. I think uh, what uh, in, like Infidel came out. That was a couple weeks ago. A Broken Hearts Gallery, which was I mean it was a it was an okay movie. Um, then you have like uh, I'm trying to think what other ones came out. Oh no, our other one that Ava is coming out. The one with uh, Jessica Chastain that we were talking about. Right. Okay. 
Ava, uh, Kajillionaire, uh, that movie alone that's actually out on um, it's actually on VOD right now to rent for six ninety nine. I think uh, there's a movie called Shortcut. Um, yeah, it's crazy. It's like random, another random. movie called Secrets We Keep. These random. Oh, sorts. that's the that's the one with Joe Kinnaman, right? I think we I think we talked about the trailer for that one. Yeah, I, I think so. So yeah, like uh, I'm just like, wow, this is crazy. So this it's super crazy that like, yeah, those are like the big the big releases of. But of, uh, like, like I was saying, yeah. the, the interesting one for me is uh, West Side Story, moving an entire yeah, year. Yeah, for sure. And this would this would like be. I mean, what's what's what I'm looking for? I mean, this wouldn't be a reasonable ask or a reasonable thing to try and do. Because you know, Ansel Elgort's been in the news recently for some not great reasons. I mean, yeah. I, I, that does put him in a, in a curious situation. It's just like, what what do you do with that movie? Like, do, like, do you do you put it out as is? Because that movie's al- it's already not gonna get the love it probably would if, or maybe, or maybe it wouldn't. Maybe it's not, maybe it's not very good. I don't know. But it's definitely gonna have like some like really just. Bad, bad connotations coming along with it just because of the star. Yeah. So like, how I wonder, I wonder how how costly would it be? And it's not like he's supporting. If he's a supporting character, I think you could definitely cut him out. But he's like a he's like a main dude. Like, yeah, you I, can't anyway, really scot. You can't really scot this one. No, the, you you absolutely cannot really scot this. Which is our new thing to say about reshoots, uh, obviously. Oh, uh, uh, really? Really? Like replacing an actor is now Ridley scotting. It's really Scotty, and and the fact that he was nominated for an Oscar is just it's just it's 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 great. Yeah, um, uh, so I don't know. I mean, yeah, we, I mean, we we do have Zack Snyder, Ridley Scotting, uh, Chris D'Elia out of his out of his movie. Uh, but <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think I don't think Ridley Scotting uh, Elgort out of the film is a vi- is a viable option. I don't think it's going to happen. I think maybe it gives a little bit of you know a time for people to kind of maybe forget about it. Um, no, uh, maybe will, I mean I, I doubt that's obviously not the reason why they're doing it. But but, al- but also like people people like it will it will come up again before it comes out. Like there's, there's when, no yeah, way. The press for that movie will absolutely yeah. Yeah, there's there's no way this comes out and nobody brings us up again. <laughs> no, the elephant's still in the room. It's just it's smaller elephant right now, but there's an elephant there. A smaller elephant. It's gonna take some gonna take some growth hormones when we approach next December. <laughs> He's gonna bury Bonds by the time that this movie comes out for oh sure. <laughs> that elephant's gonna turn into Mark McGuire. Yeah, he's yeah for sure. You're, you'll know he's in the room. God, God, it's so weird seeing before and after pictures of Mark McGuire. And what about Sammy Sosa. Oh, Sammy, so- Sammy Sosa looks like a fucking he looks like a fucking couch ocula. Dude, he like changed changed color. He like, did. I mean, he got the, got the, the, Michael, it's, it's, the Michael Jackson treatment. It does, dude. It's like, what the hell happened? No idea. Yeah, but, it's it's crazy, man. But yeah, I mean, those are all the latest release date shifts. Um, next thing we're talking about is uh, eh, this is this news kind of sucks. Uh, Dark Crystal: Age of Resistance has been canceled. Netflix and the grand tradition of canceling everything you like and love, or had potential because, yeah. Uh, Russell, I don't know. I don't think you watched Dark Crystal: Age of Resistance. I did. Uh, I didn't. I watched the movie. I was big on the movie. I just I never got around to oh, it. Oh, the, the but show. But you really, really liked it. The show is awesome. Like it yeah, is. That's what you were saying. It is so good. Uh, I think the like the, the scale of it is great. I think the writing's good. The use of puppets is fantastic. Uh, yeah. I, I think 
I I think Louis Leterrier and just everyone involved did such a phenomenal job. And I was really I was, I was really looking forward to seeing if they got a second season, which I guess they're now not getting. Because I mean, why does Netflix do this shit? Why, why do they do? See, this this is the problem Netflix is gonna have like going forward. Yeah, I mean, it's because like they're they're losing the like the the rebingeable shows. Like they're losing those that, to other services. But that's the thing. Like your Stranger Things, like you know your 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 other things like that. You can't just you know you you you're rushing Ozark to finish because Ozark wasn't scheduled to finish. Then they were like, oh, this is gonna be our last season, our fourth season, our last one. It's like, well, what the hell? Like you know what I mean? Like. All the good things, yeah. Like, like they're they're running out of like things to bring people in. I think this could have, this could have very well been like their Game of Thrones. I really, yeah. I really think. I mean, I'm not sure what the viewership was. I'm, I'm, I'm that is pretty high because it was like trending like, really well. But like, yeah, like you had like a potential gold mine in your hands. You just cancel after one season. What the hell? How many episodes were there? Eight or ten? Ten. Yeah, I'm gonna have to check that out. What are the uh, episode runtimes? Uh, it's anywhere between like forty, like forty six minutes to an hour. Okay, like, I'm gonna have to watch it because I was a big fan of the Dark Crystal movies. So oh, man, I, dude, the, yeah. The, the sh- if if you love Dark Crystal, you're gonna love this show. Yeah. Like, All right, then I need to I need to watch that. It's another one I on the on the one day I'll I'll get around to it list. But also just have just just have the wiki out because there's so many characters that you just need to look. Like, who is this guy? Name wise, what is he doing? Yeah. I, See, I hate it, and, and that's the thing I ran into with obviously Game of Thrones. Or you compare it to Game of Thrones, it's just if you're not familiar with the leg of the land, so to speak, it's like you, it's it's like you know Lord of the Rings or anything where you have these all these names and all these places. It's like what the hell's going on? Yeah, but yeah, I, I really would like to see another series pick this up because I do think there's a lot of potential with like with where this could go because like this this has an audience. Like it definitely does have an audience. Yeah. Yeah, it's just uh, that's such a such a shame. But uh, yeah. Um, what else? What else? What else we got in the news? Oh, but speaking of something that did get greenlit, <laughs> we're getting Hotel Transylvania four, and not only that, Selena Gomez oh. is not only gonna be in it, she is gonna produce it. What? Yeah, uh, I'm I'm not entirely sure what. Have you seen her producing records? Kind of crap. I can't wait to hear. What what are they? Let me hear. Uh, so of course, thir- thirteen reasons for shitty television, aka thirteen uh, reasons uh, why. Yeah, the first season was good, and then we really beat the horse. But then, like, but then we, you, but but you go back and realize, maybe, like I went back, like at the like, subsequent season, maybe realized, like first season, first season really wasn't all that good, was it? I mean, I think it was the it was the in talk, it was the buzz, you know what I mean, and yeah. then like. It's like the second season. I watched like a couple episodes, and then like, you know, my wife and I would watch it, and then like, I I I stopped watching after a couple episodes, and then I was out. I watched like I think two or three episodes of season two, and I was done. Uh, a few a few a few other shows that nobody else watched that nobody watched, uh, including oh, okay. a Netflix docu series called uh, Life on Undo- Living Undocumented. Okay, kind of redundant, but whatever. Uh, and it, she apparently has an HBO Max show called Selena and Chef. Okay. Why I ge- not? I guess it's their answer to the chef. Sh- HBO Max is the answer to the chef show. I- you can't watch it on your Roku TV, though. <laughs> you cannot watch it on your Roku TV. Okay. Just check. I just want to make sure. Or your Fire All Stick. Right. And okay. uh, uh, I mean, we just mentioned the Broken Broken Hearts Gallery. She was a, she Which, was a producer on. Honestly, wasn't. I mean, it was your 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 cheesy uh, rom com, uh, your cheesy romantic film. But I mean, it was not, again. 
kind of just what you know I had said before. It's kind of nice to just get these films that I mean really would. I mean, the, the, a movie like that would have been released no matter what. But it's just nice to see these types of films getting getting more love, you know. But also, like, do we need a fourth Hold Transylvania film? I feel like it's like dangerous to close become the next Ice Age. It it might be. How many Ice Ages are there? Like five, five. or six. Really, jeez. Because man. I mean, and I, I like I like the first two. I will say this. I I do like the first two. Three, I think, is pretty bad. Like that's I, the thing. They they start running together. The summer the summer vacation the summer vacation one. I just I don't know what like what do you do? do you go to space? Do you go to Christmas? Do you go to? Do, do you go? We we did take Ella for Hotel Transylvania three. That's where they they're on the cruise, the boat cruise. Yeah. Like, what, um, yeah, I don't know what do, we do, do you now. Go, do you go to do you go do you go to they say space? Do you go to space? They make money. They, they make money though. They, they make, make a lot of money. They make obscene amounts of money, and I get why. I mean, they're very they're very bouncy. They're very energetic, so like, kids would like them. But yeah, and I do yeah. think that, I do think the first one has like some creative some creative slapstick and some creative animation. But the, the third one, like, for I, sure, I feel like it's really running thin. And Gendy Taratowski, who I love to death. Uh, he's not coming back for this. For I mean, he did three, which I again I d- I'm not big on, but it happens. Yeah. Uh, he is not coming back for the fourth one. It's being handed over to new to a new director team. It's just like, what 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 else what else can you do with this property? Because I feel like but it's the same th- same thing as Despicable Me and Minions and Shift. You know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So I mean, you're doing the same thing. You're beating the dead horse with it. Yeah, I mean, it's, we're basically be- we're about to like I mean. Hold the is being the dead horse. The biblical me is being a dead horse. I say just beating a dead horse with the dead horse because I think they're still pumping out those movies. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's crazy. They, and you know, I think obviously, like you, you get great, you know, great series like you know, obviously like uh, How to Train Your Dragons, you know, things like that that are actually, you know, all pretty solid, you know. And then it's just it's crazy. It's just it's really really head scratching for sure. Yeah, for sure. So we'll see how it turns out. Uh, something I'm actually uh, more curious about is uh, John Boyega. Uh, I mean, dude was worried. If the dude was worried about his career, does not need to worry uh, right now because he has just lined up his next uh, film. First of all, he does that that miniseries with that anthology series, with Steve McQueen for Amazon, which I am looking forward to. Uh, but he just lined up a cramped and quote unquote cramped and chaotic thriller called The Test, directed by Gavin Hood. Uh let's see, uh the movie I doesn't hold on, let me find it. Oh, apparently it's based on a novella. Uh Boyego player behavioral psychologist administering the titular test meant to evaluate potential citizens as fascist in a fascist near future state. Uh just hearing that premise, I do I do like that. I think Gavin Hood He's talented. He's not being bullied by a studio, and above all else, I I really like John Boyega as an actor. I really do. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, when he was, you know, doing all his pro black Black Lives Matter stuff, he was worried like how it was going to affect his career. And honestly, I'm ha- I am happy to see that it is not affecting his career, and that he is still getting work. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. So, uh, you know, good, John, good, good, on, good on you, brother. Good on you. Keep keep on keeping on. Uh. Next thing, and I, I do I do like this story. Uh, Taika Waititi is going to be producing a pirate comedy for HBO Max. Uh, ti- oh uh, title: Our flags mean death. Uh, 
<laughs> the series is loosely based on the real life uh, Steed Bonnet, who is known as the Gentleman Pirates, because he whipped, uh, because he whipped turn from a life of comfortable, you know, a comfortable life of wealth to adventure on the high seas. Tycho will serve as executive producer and will direct the pilot. Uh, series created by the guy to people of Earth, which is actually like actually a quite good show. Uh, so yeah, uh, I mean we haven't really we haven't really seen like a pirate comedy before. <laughs> yeah, those two don't usually go hand in hand, but I think if anybody can make it work out, it's him. It's Taika, definitely Taika. Uh, yeah, yeah, for, for sure for HBO Max too. So maybe you can get a little more risque, and not to mention like he's he's not super involved what we do in the shadows what we do in the shadows is crushing on fx people really like that show so i do i do think that i do think that uh this could this could do a bridge with max what do you you think yeah i mean hopefully we can put on some uh, roku television please you know (laughs) i mean seriously come on i mean it's there it's uh, it's on the table there it's it's right there All you have to do is do it, man. And I, I could like watch it on my TV, and I don't have to worry about accessing my phone I know to I, watch Showgirls I know for I, our commentary. I, I know I brought a, I know I bought a Chromecast, but goddamn, put it on something. Seriously, I mean, huh, this has to be like the biggest blunder ever. Like, I, I don't understand why you would have something, uh, you know, obviously so pe- recognizable, peacock, well known. Peacock would like a word. Uh, or don't don't forget the uh, the horse that I backed a long time ago. Uh, HD DVD, HD DVD player. <laughs> oh, God, I, I should. Ugh. It was funny because I was listening to Dan Merle's first uh, episode of his uh, uh, movies. All my uh, movies. Thing, these, yeah, all my yeah. movies. And he was talking about um, Blu-ray and, and HD DVD like DVDs. I'm sitting there like I was driving back from work listening, and I'm like. Yeah, I'm I'm that I'm that asshole that bought the uh, I was, the wrong horse. I was the one. God, I'm the only person I think you probably know that actually bought that, huh? Yes, you are the only yeah. person I know who bought AC DVDs. I'll have to take a picture of like the eight movies that I still have at my dad's, and oh. I'll have to uh, show do you ha- show it to you that I actually did buy the HD. Do you have like other copies of those DVDs? Um, I th- um the one I do I know I I bought Phantom of the Opera. On HD, and I have oh, that. Oh, dude, we need to, we need to like, we need to like auction those off. Dude, point. we, they probably, they would probably, it would be funny if they like, they're worth something. They're probably completely worthless now. Um, <laughs> Superman, Superman Returns, I got the one with Brandon Ralph. I have that. I have uh, the Kingdom. I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Uh, Shrek, the the third, I believe. Shrek, yeah. Um, what other ones? I have a Harry Potter one. I think it's Order of the Phoenix. Um, I'm trying to think what other ones I have on there. Ah, shit. I don't know what else I yeah, have. We'll, we'll definitely check that out one day. Yeah, but... absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, what, what were we talking about? Oh yeah, HBO Max. So, Sorry. Tiger's pirate. We went off on a, Tiger's on pirate. pirate. Tiger's pirate show. Looks look, look looking <laughs> great. Can't wait to see it. Absolutely. Uh, next. Uh, actually, speaking of uh, HBO Max, uh, it was recently announced that uh, Peacemaker John Cena's character from the Suicide Squad will also be receiving his own HBO Max series. Uh, it'll be eight episodes. I believe Gunn's going to be writing all of them. I don't know how he's going to direct. He's definitely producing this. But yeah, I, did, I do think this says that, I mean, I'm not sure how, like, how test screenings have worked right now, but it definitely says that Peacemaker has been working for, working for the movie. It shows that uh, WB is like real, they're really happy with the way Peacemaker turned out. Uh, it's probably going over well. So what do you do? You give him his own show. So... I mean, I know it's 
it's speculation right now because we have we haven't seen the Suicide Squad. We haven't even seen like any like actual in movie footage. Yeah. But would you be based on what you know about what you know based on what I told you about Peacemaker? Would you be excited to see a series starring about him starring John Cena? I mean, if, if they obviously have enough confidence to do that, they it must be well received or getting well received. Do you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I mean, based upon that, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a no brainer. Anything where you get more about a character, um, especially if it's a one that you'll actually gravitate towards in the new Suicide Squad film. I mean, why not? It's like John Cena's really not doing anything, so it, does, it makes sense. It's kind of a a no brainer situation. So um, yeah, I mean, we'll just have to see. Like I said, when we get actual. You know, some live action footage and not just like, you know, hype videos. We'll, we'll have to see what happens. But yeah, no, for sure. I'm on board. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, la- last story involving HBO Max. Uh, I remember when they said uh, when we got all this word that the Snyder Cut was done, like finished. She got finished the effects. <laughs> uh, yeah, turned out that wasn't true. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they are doing reshoots, bringing the cast back to help, you know, and, uh, WB wrote a check, allegedly wrote a check for 70 million. Wait, hold on, sorry, hold on. Oh, uh, sorry, not 70 million, 20 million. That's, that's the top of like already too much. I think, I think much is this already like a balloon, like 70 million at this point. Uh, yeah. Here's the thing. I will say that, first of all, I think this is, I think this is bullshit because. I, we, we, weren't we told like several times this was done? This was a done deal. All you gotta do is just put it out. I mean, yeah, we were, but I mean, God, I'm hyped though, man. I, I think it's going to be great. What I, I what, what this what this probably is though is we were told this isn't going to be like a full movie. It's going to be like a mini series, four episodes, yeah. uh, four episodes in a series. And I'm I'm just assuming that this is kind of like to you know make us feel more episodic in a way. Uh, yeah, I mean. Uh, yeah, I could see that. Um, I wonder when they release the Blu-ray. I'm pretty sure you could probably just watch it straight through. I mean, probably like watch actual it, movie. Probably able to watch it straight through when. Yeah. Oh wait, no, because you got to do it. In, okay, no, I, I I get what you mean. Uh, yeah, like like actually like not, not, not like how Kill Bill was supposed right, to be watched. You know right, what I mean? Right, like right, right, right. have it together. You know. Uh, but yeah, so uh, you, you get you you know WB has got to be like. Please, please, please work. Please work. Please work. Please work. Yeah, it was it was funny because they were probably like the longest time. All oh, this Snyder cuts. Yeah, yeah. We're it's not gonna pick up, pick up steam or whatever. And it was trending or whatever. They're like, ah, oh, shit. We gotta do this yeah, now. It's like, right. well, we, we, guess, we don't. Even... Gets our hands are tied. So we don't even have it. We don't even have anything to show. Them. <laughs> guess we gotta pretty. Guess we gotta. Guess we gotta really do this thing, huh? All but, right. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm on. I'm on board. Gets get Zach on the phone. We'll. Work something out. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I mean, I mean, not a, not a entire, not entire shock. Like you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to do. There's no way you're prepped for a four episode miniseries based on what you have. I mean, that just, that just doesn't seem like a possibility. Where do you make your money back at? Those the thing. You have to make it back in subscri- in subscription, which is the, which is you're you're never gonna do it. Which, never yeah, gonna make that, it. That, that, that's that's the fundamental problem with this. Is, is yeah. is like you have to get enough subscribers from this to justify the cost. And I mean, good thing is, and that's kind of like why Mulan is semi succeeding, is that any dollar it makes off of this is pure profit. Yeah, because it's in house. Yeah. It's, it's it's in house, so that's so that's 
that's yeah. the good thing about this. But like, still, that's that's gonna be a lot of people are gonna have to get, you're gonna have to get in. Same thing with Mulan. Like, it's it's gonna be a lot of people are gonna have to get get in the door. So, uh, yeah, uh, that's that, that's 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 going right now. Uh, next piece of news: uh, Ron Howard, Ron Howard under fire recently. Oh boy! Oh boy! Uh, it was announced that he was going to be making a biopic of Chinese pianist Lang Lang, who I'm admittedly not familiar with. Uh, he was going to be directing this movie based on his memoir, Journey of a Thousand Miles. Uh, I believe Lang Lang is also producing this. Again, uh, I'm completely unfamiliar with this guy. But he did. Didn't his, did his friends call him Lang Squared? <laughs> no? Okay. Lang the, Lang, Lang the second. Uh, rough. Rough joke, rough joke. Sorry, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, he, oh, he he did come he did come under fire, uh, mo- mainly by the farewell director Lu Lu Wang. Uh, as a classically trained as it should be, as a classically trained pianist born in China, I believe it's impossible to tell Lang Lang's story without an intimate understanding of Chinese culture, plus the impact of the Cultural Revolution on artists and intellectuals, plus the effects of Western journalism. Just saying. Um, so this is kind of an interesting thing because. I mean, on the one hand, I again, I know, I know, fuck all about Lang Lang. Uh, she could, she could be right. She could be extremely right. I'm not sure, but this doesn't open up an interesting conversation. Is that do you have to? Is, is it is it better for people of a certain racial group to be? Uh, I, you know, I'll expand the story in a bit, but is is, is it? Do you, do you have to be of the culture to tell the story of the culture? Is is kind of what I'm getting at. What do you, what do you think, Russell? I mean, yes and no. I think if if you are not from that culture but still have a love and respect for that culture, I don't see why you couldn't do justice. You know what I mean? Um, it's kind of slippery slope though, because it's like a fine line, pretty much. You know, I mean, obviously the people that are in that culture know the culture, uh, but if you have somebody that like you know obviously holds it to a high standard really respects it. I think they could, they could do it some justice. I, but to me, if I was a filmmaker doing something that was completely out of my culture or whatever, I would, you know, I would consult people that were of that culture to help like some input, you know, some creative input to what I could do to kind of merge my ideas and culture, you know what I mean? Together to do it justice, you know, I mean, it's just how I would do it. I don't know. I mean, a good example I think of this is the, is the lion King is the lion King. It's where you have yeah. a bunch of white filmmakers who like really put in the time and put in the work and put in the research just on African culture to yeah. you know really kind of you know really kind of make sure we gotta get these details right. Mm-hmm. So I think that w- and another example, uh, Book of Mormon, uh, Matt Matt Stone, Trey Parker, well known atheists, but they uh, they really did their research with with Mormon religion and again also Africa, so. I mean, I don't think it's, I, I, I don't think it's impossible that Ron Howard. I, I don't think it's yeah. impossible for Ron Howard to tell the story. I just think that. Do I think Lulu Wang probably have a better, better perspective on a story like this? Ab- absolutely, I absolutely do. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, but I mean, Ron Howard's on board, and Lang is a producer. I'm not sure if he said this under duress or if he said this on his free will, but uh, he said, "Dream big, work hard, and always believe in yourself." This movie, thanks to Ron Howard's vision, will inspire young people around the world to follow their dreams and never forget they are one in a million. So, 
look, maybe this is just like a look. The check clear. I'll say whatever you want. Statement. Maybe he's maybe he's like being sincere. Uh, he is executive producer on this, so he will have some say in it, which does give which does give me some pause. But at the same time, I do understand where if anyone's against this and Lu, and Lou Luang especially, I do understand where you're coming from. So I'm kind of yeah. I'm kind of split on this story. So I mean, I am interested to find out more about this guy just because I I don't know anything about him. Yeah. So and we'll see how it turns out. Another thing I'm see, curious to see how it turns out. Uh, Chris Rock is writing a script that will pair him with both Adam Sandler and Dave Chappelle. Uh, plot details under wrap, but uh, he's just, he described uh, Rock is described as being giddy about the idea. So no idea what this movie's about, what it's going to be doing, but. Uh yeah, Chris Rock. He doesn't write a whole lot of scripts. Uh, I think yeah. he wrote a. Let's, let's see, let's see. Um, he's got top five, which he wrote and directed. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else he wrote. The, he wrote the story for Spiral. He didn't write the movie. Um, actually, wrote anything? Else? Uh, CB4, which I actually do quite like. Uh, Down to Earth, which I didn't see. <laughs> uh, what else we got? Head of State. Uh, I think I love my wife. Okay, anything is okay. Anything is directed. Probably, probably written too. Top five. So he hasn't written. He hasn't written a a, a full movie since Top Five. Uh, so I am actually quite curious about this. Uh, I mean, Russell, what what would you think about a movie starring both uh, Dave Chappelle and Adam Sandler? What kind of tone would you want them to kind of take on? I mean, you would probably have to go obviously comedy <laughs> I you? mean I, I I don't necessarily think so I think you could do like I mean not like a full comedy but like, like uh, you know like a dramatic comedy so no like, in the vein no, of like uh, serious vein, like, vein like an seen, Apatow you know yeah but I mean you've seen serious for both of them Chappelle obviously and you know Star is Born uh, and obviously you have you know Rain, Rain Over Me or whatever and uh, you know uh, obviously, Uncut Gems, we can see a different side of uh, Adam Sandler, too. So, yeah, I mean, they could, I mean, their range is, you know, they could do different things. But, um, yeah, I, I, I'm just the two of those guys. I'm just kind of curious to see them in the same, you know, same movie. I think that'd be kind of great. Yeah, and I do think it's, Chris Rock's kind of, he's, he's kind of a little bit of a comeback right now. I mean, uh, I mean, of course, he had top five. He's, he's back to stand up. He has uh, Spiral. He's on Fargo. Uh, he's, he's doing he's doing a lot, man, and I'm I'm happy to see that because I do like I do like Chris Rock credit quite a bit. He's one of my favorite comedians. I think he's hilarious, and I I'm glad he's kind of stretching his creative muscles in these kinds of ways. Yeah, so, yeah, it's, it's good to see, and I'm very curious what this movie is actually going to be. And last story we're talking about today, uh, uh Marvel She Hulk has found its star in one Tatiana Maslany. Uh, she's probably most notable for starring in Orphan Black, which I think she's incredible in. Won an, won an Emmy for it. She's on the current run of Perry Mason. I'm trying to think of something you would know her for. Did you ever see that Gyllenhaal movie, Stronger, about that guy who was in the Oh, the uh, Boston. Uh, I've seen a little bit. I've seen like the first first like half hour of it. We, we, we stopped. Like we were watching it late at night. We watched it. And we just never got around to watching it. So, so it doesn't was, do me good. She was Gyllenhaal's girlfriend in the movie. Okay, all right. And then Perry Mason I've been wanting to watch on HBO. I've been, yeah, I've been wanting to watch I, that. I also not watched Perry Mason yet. So I'm, I'm basically yeah. going on Orphan Black. And okay. 
honestly, I do think that she's not someone I would have thought of for this role, but like, yeah, I think she's kind of I think she's kind of perfect because she has an incredible amount of range. I mean, Orphan Black, she plays multiple characters and she does them all seamlessly. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she's uh, she's she she can be funny. She can be like really serious. She can be assertive. She can be like really. She can be so nuanced. She can be caring. She has like so many just dimensions to her that I do think would bode well for a character like She Hulk, which is actually like a very, she's actually like a very interesting character in and of herself. So, yeah, I'm 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 down with this casting. I mean, people were mad this wasn't Allison Brie because I think I think like a press release came out they were looking for an Allison Brie type. Oh yeah. But just like if if you want Allison Brie type, just why don't you just go hire Allison Brie? Yeah. I mean, yeah, we could just do that. Seems that easy, but you know, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely excited to see what she can do, and I think that I always like seeing talent like this get scooped up for an MCU for an MCU project. And I know it's not a movie, but it has implications because these these shows are gonna be like way more interlinked into the Marvel universe. And yeah, I'm gonna assume that sounds they think that sounds for agreeing. And holy shit, Russell, how have we gone this long? <laughs> I totally, I totally spaced. We've, there's, there's one trailer we totally forgot to talk about. I guess we're gonna knock it out right now. Um, because we the trailer for Wandavision dropped. Yeah, I totally. But you reminded me about the, the Snyder cut a few weeks ago when we did Jaws, but not that. Well, wow, that's uh, some friend you are. Okay, let's. Okay, now listen. I, I I did see that you skipped Wandavision, but I was like, okay, so we did trailers. Maybe he's gonna make a segue to where we're gonna talk about this. I thought maybe you had like Marvel news or some kind of thing. You were gonna loop it into it. No, I just I, I was kind of wait. I was kind of waiting for you. I, I I trusted you. I I thought you were gonna take us back. Well, damn it. Okay, fine. So yeah, uh, Wandavision. The first trailer for that dropped, and uh, a big thing they were pushing about this show was weird. Like it was gonna be weird. Yeah. It was gonna be crazy. And judging by this trailer, yeah, that's what we're getting. We're getting this weird, crazy, like, mind trip of a show. Uh, mm-hmm. Headlined by Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany, who are back as Wanda in the Vision. Um, this was not supposed to be the first thing we saw of Phase 4. Like, not even close. But uh, they can't, I, don't think they, I don't think they ever finished Falcon Winter Soldier. I, I don't, because of uh, COVID, they had to stop shooting. I'm not sure if they ever went back and finished it, so we're probably not getting at this that this year. We're supposed to have that last month already, but eh, you know, COVID. Thank you. Uh, Way to so, go, Russell. What do you think of the trailer for Wandavision? On board with it, man. I enjoyed the uh, platters Twilight Time playing. Um, it's funny because I put like Ella to sleep to the platters, so I, I I noticed that. I was like, that's great. She loves the platters, uh, you know. I so. like I like seeing um, uh, I like seeing uh, Kitty Foreman from that '70s show on this on on the show. <laughs> Yeah, it was completely. It was like I, I got like shades of like I, I like how they're doing like the uh, like the old vintage television shows like the almost like I love Lucy type I thing. Love Lucy, you know what I mean? A little bit of uh, a, get a little, all get in a the little family. shades of Pleasantville. Yeah, all in the family. Like a little bit of like a Pleasantville. No, um, not all. Mary Chills. Mary Chills was all I was thinking about. Yeah, like you're just getting that that just that different vibe or like almost like like Brady Bunch esque. Yeah, but um, it looks it looks it looks different, and that's the whole thing that they were trying to sell us on. So uh, it it looks good. I mean, obviously they have great chemistry together. So I'm kind of curious to see what they're going to do with the show. I also love it when Marvel stretches like stretches there. We can do whatever the hell we want, muscles. Just because we're Marvel, yeah. Well, yeah, just because they're, they're like they're Marvel, and honestly, like 
is there anything they can't do? Like, like realistically, is there anything they can't like, I mean, they built up so much they, uh, goodwill over the time. I, I really don't think there's anything they can't do. And even if it sucks, we're gonna like it anyway, just because it's Marvel. So it well, if, really it, if it sucks, we'll watch it. That's not, we're not just gonna <laughs> like it. If it sucks, we'll watch it. That's the thing. That's the thing. Yeah, I mean, they're gonna get us watching it just because it's Marvel. You throw that on top of anything, we're gonna watch it. But uh, yeah, but yeah, I, their track I, I record's do, good, so I, I think we'll just we'll uh, go with it. But I, I do commend them for like taking like big swings, big swings like this because the stuff they're doing, man. I I I don't think anyone's doing anything like it. Like I don't I don't see any. Other comp, any other like superhero franchise doing anything like quite like this, or like some of the other like crazy properties like Ant Man or Doctor Strange or the Guardians of the Galaxy. Like they made a movie where two main characters are a tree and a raccoon. Like that's that's just weird, and I'm into it. I'm really into it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm uh, down for WandaVision. They, ne- they didn't give it an exact release date, but. I feel like they're probably going to give it to us this year, which is strange because, pun not intended, uh, this is supposed to to tie in to Doctor Strange's Multiverse of Madness. So, I mean, I thought this was going to get pushed back just to coincide more with that movie. But I I feel like they feel that, hey, look, this year kind of sucks. You haven't gotten any content from us. Uh, So we're going to give you this and you're going to and, uh, you know, we'll be good. Uh, and, and well, we won't be good, but you know, at least you, at least you don't get like nothing from us for an entire year. Um, but yeah, uh, so this is probably coming out towards the later half of this. Year, towards I mean, not the later half because we're like three months left in twenty twenty twenty. Thank God. Uh, probably like the late the, the tail end of this year, probably around like December, maybe maybe November. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, uh, definitely looking forward to WandaVision whenever it drops. And that's going to do it for Notorious News and, I guess, the last second trailer talk, which means we now go on to our, it's usually movie of the week, but now I guess it's review of the week, Mandalorian Season 1. All right, so we are here for our review of the week. And, uh, Russell, this is a, I don't know, I don't know if this is a first, because would, would you count The Stand as our first, as a TV show? It was a miniseries. I so, mean, so it's not really. You can go either. Go either way with it. It's not really, but uh, in, you know, for months, uh, for almost an entire year, Russell, you've been saying, "I'll get around to Mandalorian. I'll get around to Mandalorian. I'll get around to Mandalorian." <laughs> and I sat there and I watched as you watched through you, Tiger King, Ozark, all this other crap, <laughs> and you did not get to this show. So you know what? I'm like, okay, fine. If you're not gonna, if you're not gonna watch it on your own, I'm gonna make it homework. I'm gonna make you watch it. Yeah, and that that you did. But, uh, yeah, uh, as I said, guest timber continues, and we have a wonderful guest to come in and talk this show with us. Uh, he, uh, you may know from Star Wars Explained, and being the reigning, defending Star Wars Schmodown champion of the world, Mr. Alex Damon. Alex, thank you so much for coming on to do this with us. Absolutely. Yeah, no problem. I'm excited to talk more Mando. Of course, of course. Season two on the horizon. Seems like a good time to do it. Yeah, so, yeah, 100%. Yeah, so, uh, the, I mean, basic rundown, like, intro to the show. When when Disney Plus was announced, like, okay, we're going to do a bunch of shows for our property, Star Wars, Marvel. And Ma- Mandalorian was the first show. It was the biggest show to be coming, be coming up at launch. Like, it's like, this can be available. The first episode can be available day one. You can watch it as soon as the service drops. Uh, the trailer dropped the D23. That was huge. Everyone loved it. Everyone's excited for it. And... 
it also got notoriety for being the first like major streaming show to be like appointment viewing. Like it was week to week. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. like a Netflix thing where like all the season dropped off at once. Like you had to keep coming back to it, which was like I said, a thing that no show was doing at the time. Seems like a trend. It seems like the thing is come gonna start being a trend, but we'll see. Uh, and yeah, the sh- the show dropped and it was huge. Like l- literally, I I don't know the exact numbers because you can't really measure stuff in r- ratings like that. But I am, but just ev- this was a show that like everyone was talking about in a sh- in an era where people are pretty divided on Star Wars movies. This show came in and kind of just. I, I think this was a Star Wars thing that everyone could get behind. And like Russell, and like I said, Russell hasn't watched it, so maybe he'll disagree. But I think that it's better to do if we just. So basically, what we're going to do is we're going to go episode by episode. I'm going to give a brief rundown of what happens, what happens, and then we will. We'll, well, I'll go back and forth and just talk about you know what we you know what we think about the episode as a whole. So we start off with chapter one. Fitting, fitting title. Uh, we meet our main character, the titular Mandalorian. Uh, he's this efficient, badass bounty hunter. Uh, we see that we see that in the opening scene. He goes to his homie Grief Cargo, who runs the Bounty Hunters Guild, played by Carl Weathers. Work is apparently scarce right now, so he gets one job. It's a big risk, high money job for a guy just known as the Client, played by Werner Herzog. He's just like, look, I look, I need you to go get this thing for me. It's a living thing. Either bring it back alive or bring proof or bring proof of death. Doesn't matter. Uh, so he goes off to this other planet to find this thing and. You know, actually, I mean, what's the, what's the name of this planet? I'm sure you know. Oh, I actually don't. Oh, you don't? <laughs> the, oh, wow. The desert planet. I know. I know it has a name. Uh, it starts with an A, I think. It's like Armok Three or something weird like that. Let the record show. I just got Alex on Star Wars trivia. I just want to. Hey, look, it's not. It's not in uh, Arvala Seven. There it is. <laughs> Arvala Seven. Okay. <laughs> it's so, not in the Schmodown yet. Not not yet. So he goes off to Arvala Seven. That's where he meets other little alien. Uh, it's an Ugnot Creole voiced by Nick Nolte, who I kind of was just playing the troll in live action. I'm just going to be real. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he basically teaches him the ways of this thing, t- shows him how to ride these two-legged lizard things, and then he'd like send him off to go to go do this job. Uh, he goes off to this town where like apparently he's being occupied with all these gangsters holding this whatever this package is, and that's where he gets an encounter with a droid, uh, IG-11, voiced by Taika Waititi, of all people. Uh, they go in, they wreck shop in this town, uh, they get to the package, and we get the bombshell reveal that w- we were told this, whatever this living thing was, like 50 years old, we open the crate, it's a baby. Not only is it a baby, it's a baby version of the Yoda species, which is, which was here, we'll get to that in a second. So, IG, ID11 is determined to kill it, well, we, see it, we see him tee it up, we see a flash, we see the that didn't that the Mandalorian, at some point, just like took like took as blaster, popped it in the head to just leave it alive. So that's what happens. That's where episode one leaves off. So I mean, first of all, I will say, I mean, Russell, you probably, you probably already knew it ahead of time, but I will say, for me at least, when you got to that end reveal, and that casket and that crate opens, and you see like the you see just like the green pointy ears, like I I went I remember going nuts. I was like, holy shit. There is there is another one of these Yodas out there somewhere. <laughs> like not only I, I like because up to this point we'd only seen like two. It'd only been like Yoda and Yaddle. And I think that yeah, that's it. That's all we've seen so far. But this is the first time we've seen someone who's like not 
in upwards of age. So, uh, Russell, I, I want to go to you first. So, uh, your first impressions as someone who's never seen the show before. What, what, what did you think of this episode? Well, I was familiar, obviously, with Mandalorians, obviously, like with Boba Fett and Jacob Fett and all that. Um, and then coming into this show, it kind of played off the trailer that I had seen uh, back when it first came out that I ignored for a year, obviously. <laughs> but um, I like the dark grit to it. Um, I like how you're thrown right in. like, And I like the shot that you're almost walking with him. It's almost like a first-person type thing. You're like really right up there with him, as opposed to being so distant as you are in like the Star Wars movies with Boba Fett and Jenga Fett. I think you're more closer to this character, uh, Mando. Um, and I like that. And I like his, um, you know, even... Um, his uh, relationship with Quill that we'll obviously see on and off here of the episodes. I kind of like the little, um, you know, kind of friendship that they strike up, but um, this is a great way to begin the series. I should say um, he just comes out heavy handed and just, you know, from the get go, this is going to let you know that this guy doesn't put up with any shit and it's pretty much, you know, killed or be killed. And I, and I like that. And I, and it really throws you in the driver's seat here for the rest of the, uh, the eight episodes, but um, this definitely is a great way to open the uh, series for sure. And so, okay, Alex, because I, I don't know if you like, do you remember your first reaction, your first impression of the episode when you saw it? I'm sure you did watch it like me the first day plus dropped. Oh, yeah. Like, I think I was up until three or four a.m. Like, it was one of those <laughs> where it's like, is it going to unlock at midnight Eastern time? No. Okay. Will it be 3 a.m.? It's supposed to be. Well, it's not open yet, but I'm going to just stay up. I just stayed up until it was until finally out. Up. Yeah, uh, and I was, I was like a little bit skeptical going in uh, that Star Wars could work on a smaller budget like this. Uh, I remember seeing the footage at Star Wars Celebration, and it was not done at that point, but they didn't really tell us that. And I was like, oh, no, I don't know if Star Wars can work on a smaller scale budget. Uh they, they just weren't done with the effects. <laughs> I, I was like so relieved that it looked a whole lot better when we actually got into uh, the, the final finished product. I still think I was kind of like on my heels a little bit. Like maybe that was just trying to temper my expectations. The early on scenes I felt were a, a little bit, I like, I, I, I don't know how to describe it. Like, a, a little bit amateur, fan filmish. It's just, like, I could feel the budget. There. But as it went on, uh, I, I just stopped caring. Uh, by the end, once you get to, yeah, IG-11 and Mando shooting up that little outpost, I loved all that. And, yeah, the Baby Yoda bombshell, that blew everything else out of the water. Like, nothing else mattered after that. And I remember at Celebration... They, kind of, they showed us that scene with the client, and he's like, it's 50 years... I, he did say it was 50 years old, uh, but it was still kind of this very... I was like, you get this sense that, okay, he's going to go after this bounty, and I was like, if it's going to be like a kid that teaches him how to love, it's going to be something that's been done to death, and I'm not going to like it. And that's exactly what it was, but still, like, when it, that, that little cradle opened up, and I was like, it's a baby Yoda, though! <laughs> like, that, it didn't matter. I, I I forgot everything I said. No, yeah, and I I definitely think that the scale of this show actually looks actually looks fairly good. Uh, it's kind of threw me off that the Razor Crest kind of looks like the Serenity from Firefly <laughs> at first. Yeah, I can't be yeah. with the thought of that. But something I do appreciate from this show, and and they they carry it on throughout the entire the entire season. Like they do a really good job at visual storytelling. 
Like, especially with these characters. Like, Mando especially. Like, he is incredibly expressive and incredibly well-defined as a character for someone who you, on the whole, never see his face. You really don't. Like, you can always tell, like, what's like what's going on in his head. Like, what's he thinking? Like, how is he reacting to certain situations? And I really appreciate it. I think, I think that the voice... The, Actual like body actor. It's not Pedro Pascal in the suit at this at this point. It's uh, a dude. I think it's like John Wayne's grandson. Yeah, grandson or son. Yes, yeah, uh, it's like one of the one of the two. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the the combination between his act, his like body acting, and Pedro Pascal's voice acting, I think does it blends seamlessly because you would never know unless you like really like pay attention, like you're really like into sound engineering. You would never know that's not Pedro in the suit. I think they do like a good job of masking that. I, I will say that maybe that was played a little bit into my just first watching. It's like, yeah, I kind of figured that uh, they didn't confirm this until the behind the scenes stuff. Right. But yeah, I kind of figured that wasn't Pedro in the suit. And you still kind of get that sense of like, I don't know, things don't quite sync up perfectly. But it's something that's dumb for me to complain about because, I mean, Darth Vader uh, and James Earl Jones done exactly the yeah, same yeah, way. Same thing. And like. You, you have Darth Vader pointing at things that he shouldn't be pointing at. Like, it makes no sense for him to point when he's saying this other thing. Like, it that has always been a part of Star Wars. Like, carrying it's just tradition. a silly thing for me to care about. <laughs> carrying, on carrying on tradition. But, uh-huh. uh yeah, I think this, I also think it's like bolstered by a great supporting cast. Like, I really like seeing. I never thought how much I want to see Carl Weathers in Star Wars until right now because <laughs> I really like him as Grief Cargo. I think, I think he's great. Uh, Nick Nolte, Nick Nolte's crazy ass because a good performance, but I want to go around the table because I want to talk about MV. I want to do like us to do like MVPs every epi, every, eh, every episode. MVP for me is definitely Werner Herzog because <laughs> the way he comes in and plays is so like ungodly serious. Where it's like I recognize the bounty hunting is a complicated profession. You can bring proof of termination is acceptable. <laughs> like. I like every time he's on the screen, he's he's taking this like deadly seriously, and it's he, he's fantastic. I love seeing Werner Herzog and anything. I think he's a great filmmaker and also an awesome actor, and he, you can really tell like he he loved working on this show. So I think that I, I think he did a great job. So uh, Russell, who who would you say is the MVP of the first episode? I'm gonna have to say, obviously, our title character, uh, Mando. Mando. I think j just being introduced. I mean, I hate using that as a you know cop out, but just him, uh, you know, us getting to actually you know meet this character and and go with him through the whole 35, 40 minutes of this episode. I think he's the uh, MVP of this. MVP, uh, Alex, MVP, and then I'll uh, hit you. Another, another thing I want to do at every episode, uh, MVP, and your favorite uh, scene slash moment of the of chapter one. Uh, I think my MVP is going to be IG-11. Uh, that was something that, A, they showed at uh, Celebration, and it already looked good. Like, that was the one moment in the trailer, the footage they showed that I went like, oh, my God. And it's just something where you, you always imagine IG-88, and it's like, he's just like this blocky robot. How can he really be that intimidating? Uh, but then they showed it, and it's so, it is scary uh, and exciting. So that that was just kind of a fun surprise to see that whole scene my favorite moment? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the one that I remember the most vividly is the yeah the Baby Yoda reveal. Baby Yoda reveal. Uh, yeah. Uh, Russell, you got a different favorite moment, or uh, is that going to be? Is gonna be Obviously, the Baby Yoda moment. But the one that I really, really liked was the fact that Mando had all those like uh, 
carbonite blocks I thought were really cool that kind of stuck out of my head because um, I was like shit like you know obviously you remember Empire Strikes Back Han and Carbonite and you're like holy shit like he has all these slabs of all the people that he's caught in Carbonite I thought that was kind of cool so that was just the, a moment that stuck into my head from the first episode yeah and by the way you know who who played the guy he was on at the beginning no that was Horatio Sands really yes huh. Like, a lot of fun cameos in this show. A lot of fun that's, cameos, which we will which we'll touch upon. But that's great. Yeah, favorite moment for me, I think that uh, I mean it's, it's hard not to pick baby baby Yo- the baby Yoda <laughs> reveal. Uh, but I also do like the scene where he goes to meet with uh, the clients, just because, like I said, I love I love Werner Herzog. <laughs> he's he's great. So yeah, that's uh, gonna do it for the for chapter one. And then we move on to chapter two, the child. This, ba- this picks up basically like right where chapter one leaves off. He's trying to he's trying to return to his ship so he can go collect the bounty on on Baby Yoda, who we're gonna keep calling him that even though he's called the child in the show. <laughs> it's Baby Yoda, come on. It's Baby Yoda. Like, uh, I know John Favreau doesn't want that to be the thing, but give, give, come on. Give give him a name. We'll stop calling him that. Exactly. <laughs> Until then, he's Baby Yoda. Uh, so he returns to his, to his ra- to the ship, the Razor Crest. We find that the whole thing has been raided by Jawas. It's kind of like what happens when you leave a nice car, a nice car in a really bad area. Like it's got, it's on the blocks. He took his rims. <laughs> like on vacation. <laughs> like on vacation, yeah. <laughs> uh, they take it. He tries to hunt them down to, very, to not very much success. Uh, then he returns to to to, Ke- to Keel. He's like, okay, look, you can't you can't fight these things. But they didn't. But they didn't like junk your parts. They, they still have. So we got all we got to do is go trade them back. Uh, they go and they make a deal with him. Like, look, just go get at this egg from this creature who, I guess, lays eggs. You would never tell by looking <laughs> at it. Just go get, just go get this thing. We'll give you your parts back, and we'll be good, man. Uh, <laughs> he goes to fi- he goes to fight this mudhorn beast, gets his ass handed to him, uh, and then he's saved by Baby Yoda. Which, yeah, I yeah, I guess all Yodas have the f- all, all Yodas have the Force. Which we'll uh, we'll touch on more in a bit, but he saved by he returns the egg to the he gives the egg to the Jawas he gets parts back him and Quill fix the ship and he's off back to back to Navarro. Uh, so, you know, Alex, I'll give you your how, how do you how do you think this fares as a follow up to the first episode, which I think we'd all agree is pretty solid. But I, I don't know if you necessarily agree with me, but I actually I actually think this is I actually think this is a step up from the last one because. It's it's continuing the plot. It's put some in, in, interesting situations and it explores the Star Wars universe well, and also gives us hints about what's to come in the future. I, I don't know, How, Alex. Do you agree with me? I do like this one more and more. Like the it, it's so weird my relationship with this show. I feel that uh, I don't know. I was just so trepidatious going into the first Star Wars series uh, that I definitely, as it goes on, I just like it more and more and more. Now I would say that I full on love it looking back um and this one i think really did surprise me like it it feels a bit like an adventure of the week but yeah it's still continuing things on what i really liked about it uh and from the start when i first saw this episode was that uh the mando feels like an indiana jones type character who is just like yeah i was thinking that same thing because he gets his ass handed to him constantly (laughs) exactly yeah, and he's endearing because he won't give up, and it doesn't hurt that that sand crawler chase is very reminiscent of the 
the tank chase in it, Last Crusade. It's also but... very reminiscent of like 60s Batman with him crawling up the side thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> and yeah, just like him crawling up, getting hit in the face with like tin cans and stuff. He gets to the top, and yeah, he gets just destroyed by a bunch of Jawas. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like that. I love when he gets up, like, give me, give me your goddamn sneakers. And then he's like, shoot, <laughs> keep shooting him. I, I was a little worried that the show was going to be like this, uh, just, it's it's a badass dude, and he's got a badass costume, and he's doing yeah. badass things, and that's all it was going to be about. Uh, but A, he is he's badass, but he's not. Like, yeah. he still can uh, get beat up easily. But I was really glad that, and John Favreau kind of talked about how George Lucas was on set and reminding him, like, you know, I made Star Wars for kids, and like, it's to teach them lessons and like uh, where they all fit into the world. And that John Favreau took that to heart. And I, I think that over the course of the series uh, and season one, he's done a really good job of doing that, making sure that Star Wars still has something to say instead of just being lightsabers and ships and blasters i i have we gotten this far to not mention the favreau created the show yeah favreau and filoni helped collaborate to create this show Fa- which is fitting because favreau did actually voice a mandalorian in the clone wars <laughs> uh pre pre vizsla i, I know mm-hmm. that one which comes into play later but uh yeah uh russell how did you feel going into the sec this uh second episode or uh, what's your impression of the second episode just on like a surface yeah level? Yeah, kind of what you guys said. I mean, obviously having the luxury of binging and not waiting for it, I think a little bit different, but still, uh, nonetheless, you're setting the table for the story. I appreciate that. Um, and kind of what, uh, you know, you guys had alluded to before about the whole fact that, you know, he is human at the end of the day. If we make him this all-powerful, you know, badass Mandalorian, it's like, yeah, that, that wears off once in a while. You can only see somebody kick ass so long before you're like, eh, you know what I mean? You, you really can't connect to the character that way. But making him human, like the fact that like him absolutely getting handed by the jaw was, which I think they threw everything but the kitchen sink at him when he was climbing up the side of the uh, <laughs> this uh, barge or whatever. Um, but yeah, no, I, I liked, I think it was a good follow-up. Um, it, it dimmed a little bit more on the um, like action for me. I feel like the first, uh, obviously the first episode, for me, it was a little bit more action-packed. This one had enough action in it, but I think there's a little bit more story to this one, which obviously you have to. Um, but I do like it. I think it's a, a solid follow-up from the first episode for sure. They also do a great job, I, at least I think, of building up that relationship with, with Keel. Uh, again, voiced by, again, voiced by Nick Nolte. Yeah. Who, he has like this kind of like sage, this like sage wisdom to him. It's kind of basically the closest we got we get we can get to Yoda without having Yoda actually here. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's great. He has a great catchphrase. I mean, what's, what was everyone saying when the show dropped? I have, sp- I have spoken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was the thing. And he'd honestly probably, probably be my MVP of this episode. I think that, I, I think that I li- I like the interplay between the two of them. I think that, I you do get like more hints of his backstory in this, like how he's like, hey, I just I just want peace in my valley, uh, and then that's why he's kind of helping him not to do this. And I I, d- I love what the character is about yeah and uh i mean it's either him or the director rick famiua who uh does some great work directing wise here i, I love the way he i love the way he shoots this and all the way he like takes takes control of because you gotta think about it i think this might be like the only episode of this show to have like no like actual like humans in it yeah yeah so like he's directing like a lot yeah. of a lot of like costumes and a lot of effects so i think to come in and do that I, I think he did a great job. So that's uh, a great point. 
Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, and my, my favorite scene, I got to say, is <laughs> it's it's a weird one. I, of course, I can pivot Baby Yoda using the Force, but I do like the part where Mando, Keel, and, and, and the Jawas are negotiating, where they, but he's trying to speak Jawa. He's like, <laughs> your Jawa sounds more like Wookiee. He's like, oh, yeah? How does this sound? He starts, like, trying to roast them. Like, li- like not even like like verbal, like literally like roast them with his with his fucking flamethrower. I thought I thought that was funny. Uh, so uh, yeah, Russell uh, MVP and uh, favorite moment of the episode. And I think I think I'll go with you and say Quill just because of the fact I I like his character again. Like I kind of mentioned the first episode, I like the friendship that him and Mando have. Um, I really think he really tries to level Mando's you know irrationality sometimes, and I like that. Um, he is kind of that sage, that older, you know, you know, more level headed type character. Um, so I would probably say him for sure. Uh, it's, it's either him or obviously baby Yoda because using the force and he really pulled Mando's ass out of the fire on that. But I'm going to go with Quill on this one because I don't think he's going to get a whole lot of love, uh, moving down the road here with the next couple episodes. Um, he's also, he's also not in the next couple episodes. So that's, that's, and, 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 and that's why. And that's why um, I guess my favorite scene, obviously the force scene, but I do like the fact that how they were so obsessed about the Jawas were trying to get this egg and he delivers the egg to them and they just go crazy on breaking it out and just like eating it. And it's like, you never see Jawas eating. Like you've never seen Jawas eating in a star Wars movie. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, I know it's kind of, kind of silly, but I would just probably say that just at the fact that, you know, they were just so excited to get this egg, and you you were like, well, what the hell are they going to do with it? And they literally just, like, ravished the hell out of it. I think that was kind of funny. So, to me, I'm just going to go with the egg scene for the Jawas. I think it was kind of funny. Uh, Alex, same question to you. Who's your MVP, and what was your favorite scene slash moments? Of- uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go Mando as my MVP for this one, because I think this is the episode where I really, like, started to like him specifically. Uh, I, I was into it in, in episode one, but this one I was like, okay, I can get behind this dude. Um, my favorite moments, probably also the egg delivery, uh, but for different reasons where, like, Russell, you just asked that question, like, what are they going to do with it? And they just cut yeah. it open and start to eat it. And uh, that I felt was going to be uh, indicative of what the Mando had to deal with in the future, because, like, Baby Yoda's literally in this little egg-shaped thing, yeah. and he's trying to deliver it back to people to do who knows what with it. And he sees the jaw was just, like, cut this thing open and it's played for laughs, but it is also like all of his missions don't end well. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'll save the rest of that talk for uh, ep- the next episode. Yeah, uh, that's really like a really interesting parallel that I never actually never drew. That's actually a very good call. That very good insight, Alex. Thank you. But yeah, like you it said. was like the one I caught in season one that I was like, I feel really smart about this, and then I didn't. <laughs> <get anything else. laughs> uh, so yeah, moving on to chapter three, uh, the sin. Uh, Mando returns to Navarro. He goes to deliver the the baby Yoda to the client. Like, such such trouble over such a small package, and he's paid in this stuff called Beskar, which I'll come back to in a second. Uh, actually, no, I'll come back to it right now. Uh, we don't really, again. We don't know what is, what they're gonna do with this thing, but it's against the guild code to not ask. We also see like how the Mandalorian society is living. We saw a little bit of it in the first episode when he goes to the armorer, who I swore was voiced by Elizabeth Banks. Turns out it's not. It's, it's uh, Helen from The Mentalist. Uh, we go to see like how society is taking the best scar, they craft him into this new armor. We also get a sense that he's not 
really seen very highly in this society, which I'm sure we'll talk about more when we get into like actual discussion about it. Uh, we find out that uh, this is a job that a lot of people tried to pull off. Nobody could. Uh, and like I said, we, the, it's trying to move on. He's trying to go away from this planet, but he can't do that. He goes to save Baby Yoda because, I mean, look at that face. Who who wouldn't go save that thing? <laughs> I, I, I do love that. I'll talk about this really quick. I do love the moment where like, he's the egg like going. He delivers the egg. He's going to the other room. He's like, Hi. <laughs> the biggest smiles, like, oh, you have no idea what's happening to you, do you? Uh, he goes, you find the thing is still alive because uh, the scientists, played by, like, I think it's like Omid Abtahi, I think, I think it's something like that. Uh, the scientists wanted him alive, and it's not just like a kill him thing. They want, they wanted him for something. These guys are ex-imperials. They wanted him for something. Uh, he he, re- he rescues it, but as soon as he takes him out, literally you just see the entire bar full of bounty hunters fob, tracking fobs. They all go off. Uh, they, they all go off, and they ambush him as he's trying to leave the town. And as it looks like he's going to die for this child, all the other Mandalorians come out of hiding to try and help him escape. Uh, he escapes, and that's where, and that's basically it. That's basically the end of what is essentially our three episodes starting arc. Whereas like with Mando and this child. So, yeah, I will say my favorite part about this episode, I think, is I think it's getting more insight into Mando's relationship with the other Mandalorians. Because uh, you can tell from the way they inter- he interacts with this other guy, pa- Paz Vizsla, again, descended, probably a descendant of Priya Vizsla, that he's not seen... He's 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 like he is a Mandalorian, but he's not seen as like a real Mandalorian, which is confirmed in a later episode. But yeah, I do like that whole interplay, and yeah, I, I, this is this is like where the show kept one upping itself for me because like I lo- I really like the first episode, I like second episode more. I really dug the third was my favorite at the time it came out. So, uh, Russell, what, what what were your you know just oh first impressions of episode three? Um, no, I liked it. I, I do appreciate the scenes that we do see sometimes. Usually when he gets his armor, we see the flashback scenes of when he was younger and stuff like that. I do kind of like that because that obviously builds to show you who he becomes, which I kind of appreciate. Um, yeah, basically what you kind of said, you can see a lot of these bounty hunters really just kind of look down on him. They really don't take him seriously. And I think, you know, he has a chip on his shoulder and try to prove himself, you know, that he's going to stand out in front of all these other guys. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I, I think it's a good follow-up. Another good, again, a lot story, uh, story-driven episode. But I really enjoyed it. It, it really does keep one up in itself, uh, episode to episode. But um, I think this one we get to see a little bit more about Mando, which I really do appreciate. We also did get the reveal that you know, like like I said, it ties back to flashbacks. He's a kid. He's left in like this like little bunker when I guess his town was being destroyed, and he's up. He gets ambushed by a super battle droid, which means this this is Clone Wars era. This is like. Way older than we than we thought it than we thought it was, um, but yeah, uh, Alex, I'll, uh, I'll I'll start with you like your first impressions, episode three. Loved it. Uh, this was another one I remember. I think I woke up early for this one instead of uh, staying up late. But this one was my favorite of the three. Again, uh, like you, when it first came out, seeing all those Mandalorians come in was just something. I was like. I can't believe we're seeing this in live action in Star Wars now. I never would have imagined that as a kid, just reading books and comics, where it's like, yeah, you can imagine that stuff. But actually seeing it was so much fun. But on top of that, 
I think we really start to get into what I think this series is going to wind up being about, and it has a lot to do with the armor. Uh, I, I love that he comes back with broken armor, and he's like, it's lost its integrity. I need new armor. Uh, and he gets like this literal clean slate with the baby. Uh, that's kind of, I think the show is going to be about him hopefully regaining his honor. Uh, maybe not just for him, but for all Mandalorians. But also like seeing beyond the armor, because, and that I think will come into play in like season two, I hope. But just he's, he's so into these rules of like, don't take your helmet off. This is the way. That's the new catchphrase in this one yeah. that pops up. Uh, so yeah, th this one, Deborah Chow just like blew me away with both of her episodes, and this was her first one. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you can vouch for this. Like Mandalorians, they're very like battle and like combat oriented people. Like, like they they re like, they really do like believe in honor. They're kind of like they're they're kind of like um in a way like samurais. You know, they really like, believe in honor. That's kind of like a big thing with them. But this is also the first mention of an event called the Great Purge, which I don't think is ever talked about outside of the show. You could probably tell me tell it better than I can. No, it sounds like they kind of made it for this show. They right. wanted there to be just a few Mandalorians, and yeah. so so they they've kind of like tied it in to events from Star Wars Rebels. There's like a, an uprising against the Empire on Mandalore, and then all they've said since then is that that uprising just kind of made the empire bring like their full might against mandalore and that's all we really know yes yeah, so, yeah it's basically an event where the mandalorians kind of got they kind of got host uh and that's why they live in hiding now and the, the best car he was paid with it's basically it's kind of like you rob somebody <laughs> and you hire them to do a job you pay them with their own money that's basically what this is yeah yeah it's, it's kind of how like mandalores are treated that which is why when he comes back with it peep like pause vizsla is this like he's kind of pissed off? He's just like, dude, you you do realize that this stuff belongs to us, right? And now you're getting like paid, you know, getting like paid with it. It's kind of messed up. Uh, but yes, I'll uh, I'll go around the horn for uh, you know MVPs and favorite favorite moments. Uh, uh, Alex and again, it can be, but it doesn't have to be like somebody actually in the show. So if you want to make it Deborah Chow, you can be Deborah Chow. Uh. For MVP on this one, probably the armorer. The armor, like she's so good. Yeah, it's the first time. I mean, we met her in the first one, but yeah, she just gets to be like this lore dispensary. Where I mean, someone like me, I'm like, ooh, every time she starts to talk. Uh, so getting to see her kind of like really do her job and like make a new set of armor was fun. Yeah, and uh, so that like the armor that your favorite moment too of the episode or favorite moments probably. Uh, Man, I don't know if I can like shit. It's that's or, tough. Or, I think or scene or scene. This matter. It's almost like the entire end, but probably the moment that gave me chills was when uh, Mando saves the baby from the compound, and then like it's kind of this John Wick moment right. <laughs> where all those pagers start going off, and all the bounty hunters are looking at him, and you're like, oh no. Yeah. Like they're they're all back on the hunt. It, it uh, did remind me of John Wick Chapter Two, very John Wick Chapter Two esque. Right, <laughs> that that's immediately what it reminded me of. So I I thought that that was very well done. Like not a word is spoken, but everyone knows what's about to happen. Right. Uh, probably MB for me is uh, that's that's re that's really tough. I do, I do I do like Carl Weathers a lot in this one. 
I think he gets a, little, like, a good chance to shine, probably a lot because he wasn't going to be around for another couple episodes. I, th- I thought he was dead. I thought, like, because there's a scene where, like, he's on the Razor Crest and Mando shoots him, like, oh, no, Carl Weathers, no, don't die. And it turns out he has Beskar, which I guess is bulletproof. Or, or I should say blaster-proof. So, yeah, he's he's alive, thank God. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, a uh, favorite moment for me, I, I just love the first scene where all the other Mandalorians show up to help because it does show that, like, while he is seen as lesser in their society, like, he's still... It's kind of like at least favorite sibling. Like, yeah, sure, he pisses you off every now and then, but like, he's still he's still family. So you do show up to help. Vinny's just Vin show up looking for a check in my house. He's still family. <laughs> <laughs> he's still here to help. Uh, so yeah, I, I do like that. That's a little moment at the end because it's it's a scene in the beginning where Baby Yoda's like unscrewing like this topper he has on a lever, and he's trying to play yeah. with it. And like at the end of the episode, he literally like unscrews and gi- and gives it to him. So uh, I, I do I do like the furthering of that of that relationship. So uh, Russell MVP and favorite moment of the episode. MVP I think this is I know it's going to be uh, cliche, but it's the uh, the Mandalorians that pulled Mando's ass out of the fire there at the end mm. of the episode. I think it was really cool. Kind of you know what Alex said about that scene. You can only imagine that when you've read books or you played video games like. Um, to think about what it would it be like to have like a group of Mandalorians like that, like just to see it in live action. We actually get to see it. It's not like a special edition scene on an Empire Strikes Back where you just see them standing in a straight line. You know what I mean? It's like they're actually doing stuff, and it's really, really cool. Um, yeah, I would say that they're they're the MVPs for sure because I think they really helped, obviously, help Mando out in a really in a big pinch. And then my favorite scene is the same scene. I love that scene where they come together at the end, kind of what you said, Chance. It's they may not always see eye to eye. They may not agree with one another. But it, but in the end of the day, though, they're part of a guild. They're, they're part of a, you know, a, a greater good. You know what I mean? They're part of a family, a tight-knit unit. And um, I like that. Actually, I want to change my mind. Uh, my favorite scene is where he's going up and like messing up all the stormtroopers, especially that one guy who is like 3,000% on fire. <laughs> <laughs> I, lo- I, love, I love that dude. All right. Uh, so, yeah, moving on, we go on to Chapter 4, Sanctuary. Uh, Mando and Baby Yoda are off looking for a planet so where they can hide out because they know people are going to come looking for them. They find they find this uh, this random, like, backwoods planet. Uh, no, no major trading outposts, no major landing ports, nothing. So, like, okay, this is probably a good place to go. Uh, they get there, and they meet... Uh, they meet uh, someone else who you assume is another bounty hunter, but turns out it's not. It's Cara Dune. Played by the semi-problematic Gina Carano. We're not even gonna touch that right now. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, they they meet. They realize they have an understanding. Like, okay, you know what? Like, there's like I'm on the I'm kind of on the run too. Uh, there's only there's only room on this planet for one of us, and I got here first. So you got to go. Uh, at that point, he's approached by these two villagers from this village. Villagers from the village. Yeah, that's something I just said. These two <laughs> villagers. <laughs> Village people from a village <laughs> who, like, they are they are getting their asses handed to them. Uh, they we have these raiders who come in all the time. They're raiding their crops. They're screwing up their homes. Like, hey, go look. We need you to come help us, please. We have money, and it's like he doesn't care about the money. Just like you know what, if I go here, maybe this is a place where I can come, where I can like you know lay this baby down to rest. Uh, so he picked up Cara Dune. They go they go to help. Uh, they go, you know, it's that situation. He maybe has a love interest. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, but they th- then they find out that these raiders somehow 
got hold of an ATST, aka chicken walkers for the ca- these casual Star Wars fans. Uh, so they now need to train this town to fight this thing. Uh, the final battle takes place that same night. They try and lure it to a trap, and it's basically just the town versus the Raiders. The town wins. The Raiders leave. The ATS the ATST is destroyed, and Right at the time where Mando's con- con- contemplating leaving Baby Yoda there and maybe pursuing a thing with his Navy lady, who knows, uh, another bounty hunter shows up to try and kill Baby Yoda. And, man, this show is, this show is cruel because like you, the way it's set up, like you see the bounty hunter looking through a scope. It gets Baby Yoda in his sight. It cuts away. You hear a laser blast. You know that they would not assassinate a baby in episode four. <laughs> But for a second, <laughs> for a second, you're just like, no, not Baby Yoda. Your heart still jumps. Your heart still jumps. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, you're like, they wouldn't. They wouldn't, right? No, they wouldn't. They wouldn't, right? <laughs> Did they? No, they didn't. Oh, thank God. Yeah, uh, Car- yeah it turns out Cara Dune maybe has the force because she somehow sensed that he was outside the town, uh, murders the guy, and then is like, okay, you know what? Yeah, it's probably not a good idea for us to stay here because people will keep coming. And without me to protect them here, it's... That he won't stand a chance. So uh, they leave, and yeah, that's where this one ends. So this one, I think, is more—it definitely more episodic, which is a theme in the next couple ones. It's more of like a you know adventure of the week type of thing. But I do think that I do think it's an interesting story. It's basically Magnificent Seven if it was only like the terrific, the terrific two, where they come <laughs> in and just help this village. It's getting like it's just getting sacked all the time. They train. They train them. And, you know, they're trying to do some, like, cool stuff. And I think that kind of – it's – the template's been done before, but I do think that it's done in an interesting way here, mostly because you you get hints of this town. Like, there are simple farm folk, except for this one woman who is kind of – who is Mando's maybe lady. Uh, she kind of tries to – <laughs> she try, she gets close <laughs> to him. I like lady. that nickname. His ma- maybe lady. His, maybe ma- lady. his maybe lady. Uh, he goes, she, she goes and she tries to talk to him just, like – trying to find out more about him. We find out that she is a crack shot with a blaster. No idea how that happens. But I, I do want to know, like, is she ex-imperial? Is she ex-imperial? Is she ex-rebel? Like, where, where is she going to do this? And just the way, like, they, they band together this town, I, I, th- I think they did a really good job. It's, it's not as – it is a step down from Chapter 3 of The Sin, but I do think uh, – and Bryce Dallas Howard directed this. I do think she did a great job for I, – I believe this is the first time directing anything. So uh, I do commend her for that, but uh, Alex, uh, impressions on this episode? Uh, I, I agree, a bit of a step down, and part of that is because they have done this. They've done the Magnificent Seven or Seven Samurai or whatever you want to call it. They've done it in Star Wars. There's a Clone Wars episode that is just oh, like it. Oh, right, I re- I remember <laughs> that one. So like uh, that's it's, a bit it's, of a it's with like the lemur, the lemur people, right? Yeah, yeah, I remember them. Uh, or wait, no, it's uh, the Felucians. Um, which they're they're very similar short little like we got to help this village out yes okay and it, like right. that aside it still has some really cool stuff i love the way the atsd is treated like oh, I, a, a monster i yeah i really love the way they like bryce does how it's just the atsd because like it's done at night and like all you see in the atsd is like these like red glowing eyes i'm like the atsd i don't think it's ever looked scarier right uh, I, and I like the way that everyone in universe treats it, where they're like, "No, this thing is gonna eat us up. We're done. Like, unless we figure out a way to take it out." <laughs> I do love, uh, the, I do love the the, the reaction where it's like ATST. They go back to town. Bad news. You guys gotta move. Uh huh. You, <laughs> you can't do anything. Uh, 
I agree that it feels more episodic. I do think that in the long run, some of these episodic or yeah, episodic episodes um, are going to fit in very well thematically. Um, like we have uh, this baby who can have a simple life. The Mando could settle down, take his helmet off, live there. And he chooses not to. I think that over the course of this series, he's going to like realize that, you know, the, the life of a bounty hunter might not be the best thing for his uh, surrogate son. And eventually he'll have to take the helmet off. Yeah. And I also feel like a lot of these episodic ones, especially the next one, which we will get to, uh, <laughs> will hopefully factor in the, like, the larger scheme of things later. But uh, yeah, Russell, overall, uh, you know, first overall thoughts on. Uh, uh, sanctuary. Kind of what you guys said. I mean, it's 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 more episodic. I mean, there's a lot more action in this, but there are a couple things that we we see that the Mando's going to have to come face to face with. Like, what is he going to do moving forward with Baby Yoda? Is he going to stay to protect the child? Is he going to, you know, eventually give his heart away to the maybe lady? Like, who knows what's going on with that? They have chemistry on screen together when there are you know a little bit, a couple moments between the two of them, and. Um, I don't know. I, I like how, yeah, it's it's Magnificent Seven. It's 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 completely the same thing, uh, beat for beat. But they're training the townspeople to come together, to band together, to you know destroy the uh, ATST, which I liked. I liked Bryce da- Dallas Howard's shooting of it. Real suspenseful, maybe the most suspenseful we've seen a Chicken Walker, so to speak, um, with the red eyes glowing. I thought it was really really cool, especially set at night. Um, really scary. I, I think it gets, you know, you know, gets you really uh, on the edge of your seat there with that. But overall, yeah, kind of what you said, probably like a step down, I would say. But still, I think there's a couple things that we could revisit, obviously, later on down the road for this for this, uh, you know, first season and or coming into season two. But uh, still a decent episode, though, nonetheless. I also think that she did a great job directing like her actor, especially like Gina Carano, who yeah. I've always said she's not that great an actress, especially like like in Haywire where Steven Soderbergh had her and then just like dubbed her entire performance. That was, that was great. Uh, but yeah, like, cause she, she seems like very natural in this kind, in this kind of state. I actually would look, I'm not, I'm not praising her as a person, but I do think she does a good job in, in this, in this show, in this episode in particular, like this is her one to shine. Uh, but yeah, so, uh, before we move on, I got to go to, uh, Russell, uh, MVP and, uh, your favorite moments of the episode? Uh, MVP for me is Cara Dune. Obviously a new character that we meet in this episode, but I just think she's a really badass female-led character. Um, you know, I, I like the uh, playfulness with her and Mando together, so that's going to be a team that, you know, when you're watching this, you hope to see later on down down the road in the, in the next several episodes if they get a shot to. Um, and I and I love the fact that she really saves the day as Yoda's going to take the bullet there, man. And and I love the way, and I like the way, you know, Howard shoots that, where you're like, oh, shit. And then you're like, but you know they're not going to, but it's that initial reaction, that that, that gun sound. You're like, oh, my God, no. You know it's not going to happen, but you still feel it anyway. Um, I just think, yeah, Car- Cara Dune, I just think, is just a really, you know, a really good, useful character. I, I like how, you know, she goes with Mando to train the uh, townspeople to, to fight for themselves and stuff like that. And spend that time doing all that stuff. I like how they show that. They don't 
kind of half-assed and they're like, all of a sudden, well, they're just, you know, there's, you know, experts in doing all this other stuff. You see them actually teaching them how to do different things. And I think that's kind of cool. The attention to detail in that episode, I think is pretty cool. Yeah. And MVP for me is also Cara Dune. I also, I also got it to those from, you know, again, the post the device house Howard, because they found a way to incorporate her MMA background into this. Like I'm fairly I'm positive. She did all her own stunts. Like the, co- the combat choreography, I yeah. think is excellently well done. In this episode, favorite moment for me is I I gotta throw some love to the, like the first the first time you see that ATST, just the way it just comes out yeah. of the woods and all you see is just those big pa- those the pair of like big red glowing eyes, like it's it, 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 it it's a lot and I do think I'm like wow like the, the the way you capture the scale of it, the way you make it just like look incredibly threatening, I do think that. Yeah, like for me, like that was my favorite moment of the entire, the entire episode. Uh, so, Alex, uh, same question to you, man. Uh, MVP and favorite moments of. I, the I, show. <laughs> unfortunately, I'm not going to say anything much different. Uh, yeah, I really liked the character of Cara Dune, uh, and then the ATST reveal was just <laughs> so cool. Like, yeah, it, I already said it, but I just love the way that they treated it very seriously. I mean, you see him get just eaten up in Return of the Jedi. Uh, but oh, to yeah. have you, you to see, have some you see soldiers, them, you see them doing like slapstick shit in Return of right. the Jedi. <laughs> to have some soldier come in like Cara Dune and be like, "Oh no, this is very bad." And the way that like it's almost like the T Rex from Jurassic Park, the way yes. they shoot it, chasing yeah. people. No, I agree. So, yeah, that's episode four, Sanctuary. And then move on to chapter five, The Gunslinger, everyone's least favorite episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, n- uh, so in this one, Mando's involved in a space battle. Uh, his, his ship is damaged, so he has to land on the nearest spaceports, Mos Eisley. You remember that place? Uh, he lands there. He's met by the woman who runs th- who runs the landing port, an unrecognizable Amy Sedaris. <laughs> give the makeup, give the makeup and hair uh, department props for that. Uh, so. Uh, he needs money to fix the ship. So he goes off, meets another bounty hunter, a young upstart named Toro, played by Bobby Cannavale's son. He's like, look, uh, there's this there's this mer- former mercenary here. You help me track her down. You can have the bounty. I just need the street cred. Uh, they go and tra- they go off. They go and uh, track this thing all while uh, Amy Stairs has her little babysitting adventure with Baby Yoda, who Mando just left on the sh- <laughs> He just left them on the ship. <laughs> like, you give him no food. <laughs> they give him no water. <laughs> You don't know that lady. <laughs> yeah, you don't, you don't know this person. What are you doing? <laughs> oh boy. I like that she calls him out on it though. She's like, yeah. "You don't know anything about having yeah. a baby, do you?" Like, clearly, <laughs> he does not. That was yeah. That was that was a good bit. But uh, yeah, so him him and uh, Toro go off. Uh, they see that uh, the the person trying to track down this. I think it was like a, a former mob hit uh, hitman, played by Ming Na Wen. Uh, you know, Mulan, Mulan's own. They they uh, try they try and track her down. They get her to this ridge. And they ultimately capture her, but uh, the bounty hunter, whose name I am blanking on. I can remember Toro, but I can't remember this bounty hunter's name. Finnick Shan. Finnick Shan, thank you. Uh, Finnick tells Toro, he's like, hey, look, uh, I heard rumor about a Mandalorian uprising on Navarro. And I heard that the one who caused it sold the package with him. Like, how many, Mandalor- how many Mandalorians do you see? Which, again, adds to the fact that these people aren't around anymore. So it's like, hey, uh, you ha- like you let me out of these cuffs. We take him in together, and it looks like he's about to do it. But then he just like pops out, like whips out a pistol, and then shoots him, and then shoots him, shoots her. 
Like, thank you. Like, thanks for the tip. Uh, he he goes back to the Razor Crest, takes Baby Yoda and Amy Sedaris hostage. Uh, but come on, this 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 dude can barely take a bounty by himself. He's no match with Mandalorian. Mandalorian outsmarts him, shoots him in the chest. They th- uh, ship gets fixed, and they go off and do their own thing. So I will say this episode, when this one came out, this was ever this was the way everyone was going. Like, uh, maybe this show, maybe this show. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of losing interest, and I can see why. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's not, even, even though the last one was a plot we've seen done a lot, a lot of times before, they at least gave us some, like, interesting characters and, like, interesting scenarios, like, some cool scenes with it. This, we've seen, the, we've seen this one done. And we've also seen, it, it would be one thing if they did it with at least some, like, better supporting casts. But, yeah, no, Toro's kind of annoying. There's nothing to Finnick. The be- the best support he has in this sh- in this episode is Amy Sedaris, who's like barely in it. And again, best thing about her is the fact that you don't recognize her. Uh, I will say it does end off with what I think the kind of point of this was is because someone goes up to Finnick's body, uh, wearing spurs, and <laughs> I saw speculation online that people thought this is Boba Fett because he's wearing his quote unquote trademark spurs, which I never recall him wearing. I'm just gonna be. I'm just gonna be real. I never re- remember him wearing spurs. Uh, but yeah, Alex. Um, do do you think that this episode? Do you think it's better than the rep it gets, or are you kind of like consensus on this one? I, I'm kind of with people. This one is like I, I feel a lot of nepotism with this show, and this is the one where I really feel it. Where uh, Bobby Cannavale's son comes in, and it it, it just felt like john's friend jake being like hey can you do my my son a solid and put him in a star war uh (laughs) so it it just it just didn't really fit right for me i didn't like the character i know he's supposed to be unlikable but but i I think i think it would have been like better if you just like made him like kind of like endearing in a way but it reminds me like of Iron Fist from the Defenders, where it's like I'm gonna be in the Bounty Hunters Guild. I'm gonna be in the Bounty Hunters Guild. And it's like, dude, shut up, dude, shut up, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. This one just feels like it doesn't push the plot forward all that much. It does in maybe one way that I'll, I think I'll talk about this more like when we get to episode six and seven. Okay. Um, but it it mostly feels like it's just on its own. You could lose it. You could just do a seven episode season and it would have all been fine uh but yeah you got i, I do kind of like seeing moss Eisley again and i what i appreciate is that it's not just the exact same you've seen how things have changed i do like that uh and then yeah the the stuff at the end with maybe boba fett maybe it's Cobb vanth they're talking about that in uh the second season i do think the the spurred person at the end is going to be something that makes this episode uh more worthwhile exactly in season which, two fingers crossed i want it to count well, yeah which which going back seeing that i'm just like okay because because clone wars had a very similar thing in its first season where it's like a lot of episodes that doesn't seem to amount to anything until you get to later season then like oh that thing from season one is like very important right now right so i'm holding off i just think that yeah this is probably not the best foot to lead off especially after like four four really good episodes so Russell, what did you think of uh, Chapter 5, The Gunslinger? Yeah, kind of going unison with you guys. I think it is the slowest moving one of the uh, of the f- four, you know, the five episodes that we've had totaled to this point. Um, 
don't know what Alex said. You can take it out and plot moves nicely without it. Um, what are they going to do at the end of the episode when we see somebody kneeling down to see the uh, the female that uh, Toro shot? We don't know. Hopefully they do tie it in to kind of make it worthwhile. Um, the thing I do like about it, though, um, if there is a positive out of it, is that we get to see Mando a little bit more humanistic side. Like, he is taking the time to do this for Toro. You know, he actually is okay with, you know, him doing the, you know, he's okay doing the job for Toro so he'll get credit for the guild, you know what I mean? Um, I think he's doing that selflessly, you know what I mean? And then obviously we see the double cross and and all that stuff. But I mean, I think, again, kind of just to give him a little bit more, you know, human uh, attributes, I think Mando is kind of doing something that's kind of, you know, selfless in this in this episode, you, you know? Now, uh, Alex, you mentioned the character by the name of Cobb Vanth, you know, for, the, for us who are dummies and aren't like, well, versed in Star Wars, at least not as well as you are. Uh, who, <laughs> who might that be? All right, Cobb Vanth is a book character, and this is all like not. This is all speculation. That right. uh, Timothy Oliphant's character uh, is apparently going to be was seen filming for season two wearing Boba Fett's armor. Uh, oh. So why would you have Timothy Oliphant? And he was seen without the helmet on. Why have Timothy Oliphant in there? It's not Boba Fett. Uh, the last person we've seen with Boba Fett's armor was a person named Cobb Vanth in the Aftermath books. Uh, he basically finds it in a sand crawler that had just like left the Sarlacc pit. Uh, so it scavenged armor from there. And now this person took it and is basically acting as a sheriff for uh, something he's calling Freetown on Tatooine. It's like a place where a bunch of former slaves are living. It sounds like a good place, uh, but that's who Cobb Vanth is. Interesting. Ooh, that, that does sound interesting. I would like to see that in season three. Uh, and, like, I'm, I'm, so, if they do that, I will be blown away. So excited. I was saying for a while, people were asking me about, like, is Boba Fett going to be in the show? And I was like, yeah, probably. And he'll probably just have his armor again. I don't think they're going to get into, like, the Cobb Vanth stuff. I just don't see Lucasfilm taking the time to explain that. But if they take a book character and put him into the show, like, I will be blown away by that and very happy interesting okay so uh you know going around going around the horn mvps and uh favorite moments for, for me i think mvp of this one for me is mando just because just because just because like i said this, this episode isn't very interesting it's not surrounded by a very interesting cast i don't think it's an awful episode but i do think it's like the the worst one we've had so far and of the show just as a whole the thing that i think salvages it i do think that you do have like a good lead to kind of you know bring all these moments together so yeah i do think that this is this one for me most because he's surrounded by not much i think this one where mando really shines uh, and favorite moment for me uh i'm gonna go just just the just the final shot because it makes, it makes me it's it's the one thing that stuck with me I'm like oh who who is that who 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 could who could that be so that's for me uh russell if you if you, if you can mvp for this one and I'm gonna uh, go mando not a surprise mando um my favorite scene i guess is when he got not not to take your scene where obviously at the end you leave you at a cliffhanger but i'm gonna go with my favorite scene was mando getting revenge on toro um pretty much outsmarting him just to show him that yeah he can he's played that game and he's done it to a t in his whole entire career so toro thinks he's got the one up on mando and then surprise um i like that i I just i I enjoyed it it was a fitting way to end the episode kind of what you said was kind of a lackluster episode but um yeah, I, I like Mando getting uh, you know his just desserts on Toro. Uh, 
Alex, your favorites, your, your MVP and your favorite moments of the episode. Uh, M- MVP would be Finnick Shand. Uh, oh, really, that when, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm really bummed that she got shot. I'm hopeful that maybe if if that's Cobb Vanth walking up to her body, he's the kind of person that would like take someone and heal them back to health, I think. Uh, she was also just lying there in the desert for a long time, so I don't know. It doesn't seem likely, but hey, it's the quote-unquote future. Um, Look, Alex, who knows? is the universe where the dead speak. It could happen. Right, exactly. Darth Maul got cut in half and he was fine, so... Uh, can, I, I would love can, to see. We can work with this. Back. We can work with this. <laughs> right, right. Oh, you just got shot. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Walk it off. <laughs> uh, favorite moment. I probably the end scene of the whoever character that was because that that is the one kind of moment in the episode that makes it tie into something larger. All right. So uh, yeah. Uh, season see, episode. The episode five wasn't super well received, so we now move on to chapter six, The Prisoner. Rick Famuyiwa turned to direct this episode, and this one, uh, Mander reunites with all b- bounty hunter colleagues, mainly Ranzin, Ranzar Malk, played by Mark Boone Jr., who's recruiting him for a job. He's like, hey, one of our guys is picked up. We need you to go with the team to get him out. Uh, that team being Mayfell, played by Bill Burr, Zeon, a Twi'lek, played by Natalia Tina, and, well, Berg played by Clancy Brown, who voiced Savage Opress from the Clone Wars series, and of Droid Q90, played by Richard Ayoade, who I like because I love, I love the IT crowd. Uh, so they're going on to find out that they're actually raiding a New Republic prison ship. Uh, so, but he's he still got to go along with it because why? Because he needs the money. <laughs> so uh, he, go, he goes along. We see that... Uh, in addition to being alienated from the from the from the Mandalorian world, he's kind of alienated from the crime world because they're all kind of just like mocking him as they're going along with this job. Uh, they get on, they get onto the ship. The job goes south. There was supposed to be no ma- no people on this crew because like, he was depressed. Like nobody dies on this job, uh, but turns out there is somebody on this job. A uh, New Republic New Republic guard. Played by uh, another Clone Wars uh, series voice regular, Matt Lanter. I'm going to call him regular. He was the main lead. He voiced Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> uh, so he ends up, he ends up dying. We find out that the guy that they're there to retrieve is Quinn. Uh, it's uh, Zion, Zion's Twi'lek brother. Uh, the whole job was to go in, take him out, uh, get him out of there, and leave Banner there in his place. But this is not any this is not any person they're fucking with. It's Mando. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he busts out, goes, hunts him down, wrecks all their shit. You think they're dead, but he's like, "Look, you take me, you, like, you take me back to, the, you take me back to Ran. I'll make sure you get paid." So he does. He does that. He does that. He drops him off at the hub where Ran works, and he's just like, "Well, okay, I paid you. Good job. Go on your way." And then as soon as he's leaving, he's like, "Shoot him down." But in a really, a really great twist, they ha- there was Matt Landers' character had a tracking beacon that he activated, that he left on, he left on Quinn. So yeah, uh, X-wings go ambush the outpost and then destroy us. We also find out that, Ma- that Mando kept his word; he didn't kill anybody because everyone he he ambushed uh, was just en- ended up in a jail cell. So I will say uh, in. Despite the episode five left left cold, 
this one brought me back because I I really like what he did with uh, episode. I really like what Rick did with episode two. I freaking love what he did with this one because I think that he's doing something that no a lot of directors didn't do with this show. Whereas I mean the first one he's heading to direct all these like different environments and characters. This one I think that he does like a great job at building suspense because like as soon as Mana breaks out the lights go down it's like all red tinted and I think the way he like amps up tension in like the later scenes of this episode I I think he does it phenomenally well. So uh Russell your uh your uh, overall uh, overall thoughts on chapter 6. Yeah, I think this one obviously raises it up a little bit obviously kind of five was kind of sour but this one really kind of ups the ante a little bit um you know mando just can't trust the right people man he's always getting crossed it seems like man he, he gets crossed twice in this one he just got crossed in episode five by Toro, so it's like man the guy can't catch a break <laughs> he did he did uh, admit, he did admit this was a bad idea <laughs> yeah he, he does he admits it's a bad idea but uh nonetheless goes through with it and ends up, you know, you know, regretting his decision. But nonetheless, uh, no, it's a fun episode. I really like it. I really think that this really puts the show back on the map. Um, you know, it has a pleasant, you know, balance of, you know, uh, plot-driven and action. So, I mean, I, overall, I enjoy it. I like it a lot more than episode five. Yeah, for sure. And I love the way they, you know, with the whole tracking beacon and stuff like that. It's almost like it, it kind of, like... You know, it comes back to bite you in the ass. I think that was kind of funny. So, yeah, I, I like this episode overall. And something I do like about, I do I do like about this, and honest, because honestly, season like this very could this could have very well been another episode five where people just like ah, it's episodic. I'm not really not really digging this. The difference between the two of these, I think, is the fact that you surround them with a much more interesting supporting cast and a much more fun supporting cast, like. All like everyone he interacts with in the episode is like a super fun, super like weird, super defined, and just like super interesting personality. Like I like I like seeing Bill Burr as Mayfield in the show. I like I like Zion. I like Berg. I I, I like this cast of characters he was lined up with. It was like Guardians of the Galaxy almost. Almost, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So uh, you know, Alex, you know, since uh, five left you kind of cold, uh, do you do you, th- do you think six brought it back on track? I like half of this episode. Really? Uh, yeah, th- I actually have a very different opinion from you guys. And But I, I like hearing uh, when people really like something that I'm like lukewarm on. I, I just, I do not like the other cast of characters. Really? Uh, <laughs> yeah. But you're not supposed to. Like, I, I can buy into that. I, mean, I, mean, I don't, I don't like find them like, likable, but I do find them like, at least like, okay, right. I, can, I can at least like watch these guys for an hour. And like Toro, who I just wanted to get off screen every t- every second he was uh, on. Gotcha. I mean, yeah. uh, I, <laughs> I, like, I like this episode when it turns and it's Mando starting to beat them all up. That, <laughs> that uh, shit was great. The first half, I'm just like, oh, uh, they all are just caricatures of like look how big and strong i am and like look how awesome i am i'm balancing a knife on my like we're all just so hard and edgy and i'm like okay i got it uh it it just eh. i don't know what to say about those guys i can't really say anything good about them i don't like them at all even then i'm like they're probably coming back in season two the fact that they're all (laughs) left alive at the end but i I, yeah i I, I do love okay good oh god no, you had. Well, once it twists, I'm all on board. I thought Rick Famuyiwa shot the hell out of that. Like, it's so cool and moody with the lights and everything. Uh, Mando picking them off one by one. I also think that this one is much more important to the plot 
than episode five because now we're looking at who Mando used to be and how he is changing thanks to the child. So uh, it, it's good to kind of have that comparison. And I, I will I will say I do remember like when people like freak, freaked out about this one because Bill Burr is in this and Bill Burr if you know anything about Bill Burr has a very very heavy Boston accent. And I remember like everyone's like like. How can you have a Bostonian in Star Wars? It doesn't make any sense. Like, really? That doesn't bug me at all. I'm like, okay, up to this point, we've had Asians, Caribbeans, right. Jewish yeah. people. I'm just like, what? why is Boston one step too far? <laughs> doesn't make any there's sense. There's got to be space Boston out there. there yeah, there's got to be a planet that's just, that's just <laughs> everything is Boston. <laughs> Somewhere out there. So, uh, yeah, I'm uh, so going to MVPs and uh, favorite moments. First of all, MVP for me... It's tough because I do like a lot, but I'm actually gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with the director. I think uh, Rick Famuyiwa uh, is the. He, I think I think from a directing standpoint, he, he absolutely murdered this episode, and it, it's episode is my favorite moment. It's the one where he's about to ambush Mayfeld, and like he's in a hallway, and there's just like this one like blinking light, and every time the light blinks, he gets a little closer, then it blinks again, and he's gone. And he blinks, a little, gets a little closer, he's gone. Gets a little closer, he's gone. And then he's just like, oh, like, it's coming. Then he turns around, and he's, like, right behind him. Just like, oh, shit. Like, that was just the execution of a shot like that and, a, and like, a, a scene, a sequence like that, I think is wildly impressive. And watching that made me think, like, wow, Rick Mami, you would probably, like, they're, they're doing Blade again. I think he'd murder that movie. Like, honestly, I think, like, you can get him to direct Blade, and he'd kill it. I got, that, that's like, he's honestly submit that for like like his here's why I should direct Blade, <laughs> and it, it shows that he's like has a good work relationship with the show because he's he is coming back to direct episode season two. So, uh, Alex, uh, who's your MVP and what is your favorite moment of this oh, episode? Oh man, I, I didn't know that uh, picking the director was a choice, uh, and I do I I do think Rick probably did the best job. Uh, I'm gonna go Dave Filoni. Filoni. I, yeah. I, <laughs> I really, I really love uh, Dave and Rick and Deborah Chow. I loved seeing the X-wings pop oh, up again. Oh yeah, they did cameo. And I, I loved seeing the cameos. Like it's so goofy, and but it made me smile. It's fun. It's uh, fun. I love how, I and I also love the behind-the-scenes story of like all of the directors being like, "We don't want to do this," and John's like, "Well, too late because I got you costumes." <laughs> and like, I kind of want them oh, was, to was show up from, every uh, season now. Was that from Galax from the the behind the what the show the the, the yeah the, the gallery show? thing gallery that's right not Galaxy. I would love it if every season like they came back and they're all just like because they, they all seem so disinterested and which was the direction they were given to just be like this is nothing to you you're you're gonna go in and take these guys down and you'll be fine. But, but I, I want um, them to, I want them to have like different jobs every season. <laughs> that'd be fun. Like like next Just season they're like, moisture farmers. Next one like they're like stormtroopers, <laughs> but like in like the lounge area. Like, why do they gotta wear these helmets all day? <laughs> it's so hot. Um, favorite moment probably the door on Berg. Oh yeah. Uh, that was just a sudden that sudden close. Even though it didn't kill him, and I was like, how how did he survive that? But it was still just such a a cool sequence of events. Yeah, because that that really shows like like lopped his face off. But we, we digress. Russell, uh, MVP and favorite moment of the episode. I'm going to be boring because uh, I'm not in, in depth as you guys. Uh, I'm just going to go character wise Mando just mm -hmm. because I, I just, again, I like 
just how badass he is. He's almost like a Liam Neeson, you know, I'm going to get revenge on you. I have a set of particular skills and, you know, um, and that ties in with my favorite scene. I just, I like when he's doing, when he's getting all the other crew members that kind of have turned on him back kind of what you said chance that scene where he like disappears and you see him and he disappears you see him almost reminds me of like almost like how a batman movie shot you know what i mean how right. you can see the batman for a second and he's gone where the hell did he go and then boom right there where you you see him there and then he just makes a sudden turn the last minute and he like turns around and he's gone it's like it's creepy but it's it's perfectly shot kind of how you said but uh yeah i would say the favorite scene is just getting revenge on all the uh the guys that um you know, double cross them, but it, obviously in the end it didn't matter because he spared their lives. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's where we end off with chapter se- chapter six. Now we move on to penultimate episode, chapter seven, the reckoning. Uh, Mando gets a call from Grief Cargo. He's like, "Hey, guess what? I'm still alive." And uh, because of you, uh, the client uh, called some stormtroopers to help occupy this town. So I'll make you a deal. You come. I want to break in real quick just because this was one of my favorite things that molly pointed out to me and just you you already talked about carl weathers being in star wars and how great it is i love his delivery of that it feels like molly described it as like when you're in line for a ride at disney world and you have like that actor (laughs) kind of setting things up and is like hello there you might be surprised to know that i am alive yeah no you're right yeah that's, that's, that's yeah that's great yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I love I love the way it is, but it's like, yeah. Uh, so I'm alive, and uh, yeah, the like I said, stormtroopers occupying the town, make it a deal. You come help me liberate liberate the town. We're square, and then, and, and we're, we're gonna be good. I promise. I'm not lying at all. Wink, wink. <laughs> so man, are just like, well, this is probably a trap. So I'm gonna go get back up. So, uh, you know, he goes back, he has some characters from the episodes, he goes to get Cara Dune, he goes to get Keel. Uh, he also gets a, uh, <laughs> just, by, just by sheer happenstance, he gets a reprogrammed uh, IG-11, who Keel has now <laughs> reprogrammed to be a caretaker droid. So he's like, okay, fine. And we already know at this point, Mando is very, he, he's like very anti-droid. He's yes. basically like the polar opposite L3. <laughs> Droids and him, they, they, they do not jive, and understandably so. One nearly killed him when he was a child. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you go pick all, all these people up. We see that uh, Yoda, uh, the baby Yoda is kind of, he's uh, kind of uh, territorial because him and Cara Dune are arm wrestling, and he starts, like, force choking this thing. It's like, hey, yeah, 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 yeah. hey, it's okay, it's cool, it's cool. <laughs> We're just playing. We're just playing. Uh, so they get they get to they get to Navarra, uh, rendezvous with grief, and then they're going on to the town. That night they're attacked by, I don't know if this is confirmed or not, but I believe they're attacked by Minox, the things that from the cave in episode five. I'm sorry, in episode five, Empire Strikes Back, which is crazy. I think these are Minox. That means like the ones that Han and Leia shot in the cave in Empire, basically like children, like babies. Uh, I, I don't think they were the same creatures. Not I think the they creatures? were. Yeah, I think they were supposed to be different. It says it says Minox on the wiki, so that's what that's what I was going off of. Really? Yeah. I don't know. You would know. You would know better than me. Uh, but while you double check that, yeah, they're attacked. Uh, uh, one one of one of Karga's dudes taken off, and Karga himself is hurt because Minox already gets poisoned. But it's it's okay. It's it's a good thing that Baby Yoda's around because Baby Yoda, he's got some force healing powers. Puts his hand to, car- to uh, grief Karga, 
and he heals him away, which is interesting because this episode was dropped, I think, like the day before episode nine released. Which is weird because they that bring that's true, yeah, yeah, because they bring that because I remember seeing that in this episode nine the next day. I'm like, oh shit, they brought that back. That's kind that's kind of strange. I guess <laughs> what a, what a, what a weird like what what a weird like you know I don't know if it's coincidence or like they did this on purpose, but like it, it's it's just weird to see it like back to back. Uh, so he heals him, and then that makes Karga reassess his arrangements in that he shoots the two guys who's going to have killed uh, Mando and Kara and take the child. So they have a new plan. They're going to pretend to take Mando and the town into custody so that way he can get close enough to the client so he can shoot him in the face. That was not the exact way, but he's probably going to shoot him in the face. Uh, they do it. They go into the town. They get in front of the client. Uh, as they're about to you know, execute the plan, uh, the real big bad behind this shows up, Moff Gideon, played by Giancarlo Esposito, uh, shoots up the bar, killing his own dude. He comes out, he comes out of an X-Wing, and he's just like, <laughs> not an X-Wing, he doesn't have a TIE fire, he's just like, you have something I want, and soon it will be mine. Uh, and meanwhile, pretty, good. pretty good impersonation. Thank you. <laughs> it, it will be mine. <laughs> Uh, so he. Uh, meanwhile, th- this whole thing was double crossed because while this was going on, Keel took the baby, but their collar being intercepted by two guys on speeder bikes, uh, who then go after who go after Keel. He's like, look, just like just get get to the ship, get to the Razor Crest, get off world, employ the ground technique. You just cannot let this get get, get their hand on this kid. And he he's going, and you think you think like he gets right to the Razor Crest, and you think he's about to go off, but then like cuts back to when they're trying like the Keel Keel. You read me, and Baby Yoda's on the ground. You're just like, oh no, oh no, and then it c- moves over, and like Keel is like smoking. He's been shot, and he's dead. Uh, so yeah, uh, Deborah Chow once again come back, came back for this one. So Alex, uh, overall thoughts on episode se- our penultimate episode, teeing us up for the finale. Yeah, this might be my favorite one. Uh, one thing that disappointed me about season one was that you kind of were told. Like, here's your main cast of characters. You got Mando, Grief Karga, Cara Dune, Queel, IG-11, and they're all so spread out. So when we finally, like, got the crew together, I was very excited by that. Uh, Yeah, I love this one. I think Deborah Chow just does a great job. Moff Gideon's introduction is one of my favorite moments of the show. The way Giancarlo shows up, who I don't even know if he was cast in this show. I I, I, want to say he just... I want to say he just like came to set one day. He's like, you know what? I'm <laughs> gonna be. I'm gonna be in the show. Write me in. Yeah. Right. Uh, I, I I believe that that story came out because he's just like that. He's like that threat. He's very threatening for a man who's 62. <laughs> oh yeah, he's great. So and, and the music. We haven't talked about the music one oh, yeah. bit. Uh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Right. It's Stop. just like some percussion at that part that that I really really dig. Uh. So yeah. Th- this. It's between seven and eight for my favorite episode, but it might be seven because I just I was finally feeling that hype of like, yeah, we're getting the Space Avengers together. Let's do this. Yeah, and I will say I do think they draw an interesting parallel between Baby Yoda and IG eighty eight because like you know Keel's like said like like it, it, everyone is a blank slate. What matters is mm-hmm. what you program them to do. And here we have IG eleven, a, a droid we associate with like murdering people, who's like being a caretaker. And we have Baby Yoda, uh, a entity we associate with being like you know like all good, who nearly murdered somebody in this episode. So I do think that 
it draws an interesting, par- like, parallel of like parenthood and like you know nature versus nurture and all and all that kind of stuff. So I I, I did like that quite a, quite a bit. Well, that's that's something that I think the show is again kind of, and I think season two the trailer for it already explored this a little more. But every time the Mando does something horribly violent, like burn that dude to a crisp in episode three, disintegrate Jawas, it shows baby Yoda watching, and dropping, I think dropping off on him. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so he is being affected by this. He is being programmed by the Mandalorian, and then he goes and force chokes Cara Dune. So I, I think we're going to continue to see that in season two. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. But uh, yeah, uh, Russell, uh, what, what what do you think of episode seven? Yeah, kind of what you guys said. I mean, this really you know, gives us you know you know right next to the you know finale here. So they obviously had to build it up. Um, I enjoyed it. I liked it a lot. Um, kind of what you guys said. It's almost like, you know, the nature versus nurture thing. It's like, you're a product of your environment kind of. And we see, you know, when man, you know, when Mando does do something, you know, sinister or whatever, it does rub off on, uh, baby Yoda. And, um, it's going to be kind of interesting to see how season two progresses that. Um, overall though, I liked it. I I really did enjoy this episode. This might be one of the best kind of what Alex said between this and eight, um, and it leaves you, it, it, was, it leaves you with a perfect cliffhanger. You know, obviously the, the one, uh, uh, uh trooper or whatever, uh, grabs, grabs baby Yoda and that's how it ends. It's a perfect way to really tee up for the uh, finale. So, yeah. All right. So, uh, Alex, I'll ask you MVP of the episode and your favorite moments of the, of the, of the episode. Um, Gideon, uh, I, I, he does so much and so little. Gideon, so, Gideon for uh, both? Yeah, favorite moment. That's a uh, that's tough. Um, I think I think I'll probably go his introduction, like that whole part where it's intercut with Kawil trying to run back, and then it like shows pans over to his dead body and Baby Yoda's captured. Like that that ending gives me chills every time. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of I I, I kind of agree with you just because just the way. Giancarlo Pizzito comes in, who's, who's an awesome actor. He comes in, he becomes like my favorite, one of my favorite characters. It's not my favorite character this entire show. Like I literally, I know, I know, I know all his lines. I, I, I love his scenes. He has the ner- he has the balls to show us how a Tie Fighter lands, which we've never seen before. Uh, yeah, I, I love everything about Moff Gideon, and it's emphasized later in the next episode. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree with what you're saying, uh, Russell. Are you uh, is a uh, sweep across the board or? Yeah, it is. Um, just because, like, now we see somebody sinister. Like, it's you know, we actually have like the bad guy. You know what I mean? Um, and I would say my favorite part is probably the last twenty minutes of the episode. The last twenty-five minutes of the episode really takes you, you know, to where we're gonna go in uh, chapter eight. Um, really sets the table and it really leaves you wanting more. So as soon as you finish chapter seven, you're like, damn, I really got to finish this up. You know what I mean? I really want to watch chapter eight. I want to see how this concludes. So yeah. All right, and which, which means you now move on to the final episode, Chapter Eight: Redemption. Uh, there's still uh, Kara, Grief, and uh, Mando are still in the standoff with Gideon, who's a much smarter bad guy than we than we thought. Because why? He knows exactly who Kara Dune is. He knows exactly who Grief Karg is. More importantly, he knows who Mando is. We finally hear his name, Din Djarin. Uh, we find out that he was inv- he was involved in the Great Purge because all his records would have been on Mandal uh, been on Mandalore. He's not like, like we thought. He's not Mandalorian. He was picked up after his parents and his town basically got screwed into the dirt. Uh, 
At the same time, I it's up to IG-11 to go and save Baby Yoda. He <laughs> saves them from two stormtroopers who are pretty just about as incompetent as you expect from stormtroopers. <laughs> who, by the way, <laughs> uh, voiced by both Jason Sudeikis and Adam Pally, those those uh, those two troopers. Uh, funny. Uh, so IG-11 saves them, goes into the town. We see them try and try and fight their way out. Man, Mando's hurts. Uh, but they get out. The rest of them get out there. Zero great. Meanwhile, IG IG Eleven stays behind to help him. Takes off his mask. We finally get to see Pedro. Pedro did in fact wear the armor at least one time. <laughs> I don't know about the whole series, but he did. He did do it at least once. That's all that matters. Uh, they go in. They go and try and find the uh, Mandalorian sanctuary. Uh, but turns out that uh, he shows up. The armor is there. He's like, uh, yeah. Uh, after you. After you uh, did your whole thing. Uh, the Empire came. What left the Empire came. They found us. They they killed a bunch of us. So we're basically all that's left. It tells them like, yeah, uh, this thing used to be a part of a race called Jedi. It's now your job to go and take and take him back to his home. He gets a signet, the Mudhorn, and then he goes on his way down a lava river. But oh no, th outside the lava river, there is an entire battalion of troopers waiting, just like blow him to hell. So IG Eleven makes the ultimate sacrifice. He's like, look, my like I have to go back to my regular programming. I can't be captured, so I got to go in, blow myself up, and give you a chance to save the day. V very, uh, very Terminator Two esque, right down to the right down to the lava, <laughs> the pit of fire at the bottom. He goes in, he blows it up. Moff, uh, oh, I forgot to mention, uh, Din Mando gets his uh, his jetpack from the Mandalorian, which he had to earn. He's like, you got to work with this thing. It's not going to listen to you. So he has to use that to fight. Uh, Gideon in his tar in his Tie Fighter. I'm gonna say Tar Fighter. His Tie Fighter. Uh, he goes in. He blows it up. You you think he crashes it and dies, which probably would happen because you see the way he crashes. His bones are probably turned to soup. But this is <laughs> Star Wars. Like I said, you you can get sawed in half and still survive. So he's good. <laughs> uh, so he he him and uh, Baby Yoda are gonna go off to try and find his homeland. Meanwhile, no, Moff Gideon is still alive. Not only is he alive, he is He is in possession of the dark saber. Which is the thing that I will let Alex explain in a second, but uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, Russell, this is the penultimate episode. Uh, not the penultimate. This is the final episode. What were your thoughts? I mean, wow. I mean, seriously, like you watch, you know, you know, I binged on this one five and three today. Um, but to to as this is a payoff, you're like, wow, what the hell are we going to see in season two? It's a perfect way to end it. You know, you see Gideon coming out looking really sinister, really sinister. Um, and you're like, wow, you know, what, what's going to happen in season two? I'm on board. Um, yeah, and I'm kind of curious about the Darksaber, so I'm kind of curious about this because I don't know a whole lot about it. So, uh, yeah. But everything about it, like the IG droid, that moment, man, I mean, that pulls at your heart, man, because you, you, you know that he has to do this in order to save everybody else. So, yeah, overall, great episode, though. It's a fantastic way to set up season two. All right, so, uh, Alex, overall thoughts on the episode, and uh, what did uh, – Expl explain to you know the non-massive Star Wars fan what is the dark saber and why is that important? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, really, really love the episode. Uh, it, it, it's a tough choice for me between seven, eight, and three. I think they're all kind of my tops. Uh, and, and eight was an excellent payoff to everything that we had seen so far uh, with the, that dark saber reveal. Again, like Star Wars has been surprising me lately with. Uh, stuff like in Solo, Darth Maul is in there without an explanation where I've had a bunch of friends look down the row at me like, didn't that dude get cut in half? And I was like, I'll tell you after. Uh, <laughs> Alex, help! <laughs> right. 
<laughs> so we'll the dark saber just comes out of nowhere. Uh, Gideon cuts his way out of the TIE fighter with it. Uh, such a cool thing to see that in live action, first of all. But again, they just show this thing and they kind of are trusting the audience to know or figure it out for themselves. And I, I like that they're doing that. But the dark saber is uh, the lightsaber of the first Mandalorian Jedi. It has been used as a, a symbol of unification for the Mandalorian people. So the fact that this Imperial has it is just another sign that their culture is currently broken. And uh, hopefully someone will come along and take it back. It's also mentioned that he was involved in the Great Purge. It makes me think like he yes. was kind of like spearheading that, which is why this is probably like a reward. Like, hey, you, you, you screwed Mandalorian in the dirt, you get this. And it's basically kind of giving him like the right to, man, to Mandalore as a planet. At least probably in the Empire, that's probably what it means. But the fact that he has that, which is a very important thing to Mandalorian culture, like it's 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 huge and it has like major implications for like what we're gonna see later down the line. Because like how do you how do you fight the, how do you fight this thing? Like you, and right, you, you can't find Luke Skywalker. No one knows where that dude is. Like you basically got to find like find this on your own. It's like what do you do? And yeah, I love I, I love this episode too. I think that I think the Taika Waititi who directed it did a. A fantastic job to bring all these things to a head. I think it has the emotional payoff. I think it has like the climactic battles. Gideon continuing to be an incredible character. I thought the dude was like, like he was great in that like three minutes he had at the end of the last one. He is excellent when he gets like an entire episode. I I love what Giancarlo Esposito is doing. I can't wait to see more of him in season two. And yeah, so moving on to you know final our final one uh, MVP for me uh, it's definitely Taika Waititi. Both as a director and as the voice actor IG88, because he brings so just the way he, he is able to play it. Because IG88 is very deadpan. It's not, it's not like Korg at all, because he's like cracking jokes. He's very deadpan. He's very robotic in a sense. But I think that like the way he gets actors to react to him, and I think that I think it's on him to get the actors to like drive that emotional point home. And you really do feel it, like when IG88 decides, like you know, I'm gonna blow myself up so you guys can have a chance. When he does that and he just goes, you, like, you really do feel, like I said, it's a, it's a Terminator 2 effect. And I do think that he executes that very well. And uh, moments of the episode for me, uh, I do, th it was the Darksaber reveal, but I got, I, 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 I just watched it and there was another one. I'm like, oh, I like this scene better. But I'll, I'll, in case I don't think of it, I'll say the Darksaber reveal just because like that as a Star Wars, as a fan of Clone Wars and a fan of Star Wars in general, I'm like, oh, that's something I've always wanted to see translate live action, and they've done it, which is which I think is great. So, yeah, that's uh, that's. Oh, actually, you know what? No, the the other one I'll throw out there is uh, the scene where we find out where we finally see uh, Din get saved by the Mandalorian. The music cue, the way it's shot, I think that it's a very well executed scene. So yeah, that that's my pick for moment of the episode. Uh, Russell MVP and moments of the episode. MVP, I'm going to go IG-11. Um, sacrifice himself for the greater good. Uh, Band of Brothers, that thing, man. Um, kind of what Alex said earlier, though. It's it's one of those things where it's like we come back and there's actually like lessons learned in this episode. Basically, in kind of what you said, Chance, it's like, you know, you think of this IG droid as a killer. And this thing has been programmed to nurture and, and be, you know, kind and, and, and would be caring. It's like we can change you know, like stereotypes or like change the way of being. Like, you know what I mean? Product versus like you know, product of your environment, you can overcome that type of thing and be whoever you want to be type of thing. I, I, I get out of it, I guess, for the greater, you know what I mean, for the greater uh, 
what I got out of the episode. But um, my favorite scene, obviously, is a dark saber. But I also like the fact, and it's really kind of you know sad when IG eighty eight is uh, walking down the lava, and you see all those stormtroopers like just aim their guns at him, and then he like programs the self destruct. I and mean, it's sad, but it's like you know he has to do it for the greater good. He sacrifices himself again for this like killer droid that like you know, that was supposed to be so sinister and stuff like that, you can change, you know what I mean? And I think that's the, the underlying type of um, thing you can get out of this, too. So, yeah. It's also a great underlying theme of the, of the yeah. show as a whole, I think. So, uh, Russell, I'm sorry, not Russell, Alex, uh, MVP and uh, MV- MVP moment of the episode, and this, I forgot to ask, uh, overall thoughts on the season as a whole? Yeah, um, MVP, I think kind of want to agree with you on Taika, but I think I'll just go the Mandalorian. I'll go Din Djarin for this one. I, I think they really did a great job, especially with his interactions with IG-11. I love that he kind of turned around and was like sad about this droid uh, sacrificing it. So, I mean, that we've all talked about that moment already, but it, it, it hits so many uh, themes and callbacks, character moments uh, in that one scene. Um, favorite moment. I mean, it's the dark saber. Come on. Like just that, that little stinger, that cliffhanger of something that again, it's kind of like when the Mandalorians fly in in episode three, I never thought we would see this in live action. The fact that we're getting this in star Wars is insane and I love it. So yeah, it's gotta be the dark saber overall thoughts on the season. Uh, looking back on it, I have nothing but really like fond memories and having gone back and rewatched it, I don't know, like four times. Uh, I I enjoy even the episodes that I don't like as much. Like there, it's so easy to digest and go through. It is interesting. Like when it's week to week, if you hit a an episode five type episode, you're like, ah, that kind of sucks. We have to wait another week. But when it is all out, it, it I think it flows very well. Uh, and I am still very grateful that they're doing week to week. I think that's the smart move to get everyone talking every single time. Even if it is like, ah, this episode wasn't as good. Like you're still, people are talking about it for eight weeks straight instead of just one weekend where they binged it all. Right. No, I mean, I agree. And uh, Russell, I forgot to ask you, like, you, cause as someone who's like first watching the episode for the first time. Yeah. What, what, what did you think? What the heck was I waiting for? Yeah, obviously. <laughs> but, um, no, kind of what you guys said. I mean, it is – again, I watched it in a different manner, though. So I watched it where I had the luxury to binge it. Um, I agree that I, I will be starting at October – like, what, October 20th or 30th. October 30th, I think. 30th. Um, I will watch season two as as it airs and just get that feel for that every week, getting that, you know, uh, you know, you know, uh, getting anxious for and stuff like that, whether or not hit or miss, like Alex said, if the episode stinks, eh, you got seven days to try to make it better. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's that lead up. It's getting people talking about it. Um, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And the, you know, the episodes I took in, I took in a lot. Um, but I, I still, I just enjoyed it. I love seeing, you know, Mando's, you know, whole entire transformation throughout the eight episodes. Um, and, Kind of how I said about the, this episode, I, I'm kind of curious to see what Gideon does and how they're going to tie this into season two. What's going to happen with Baby Yoda? Are we going to see Kara? Um, is is Kill even? Is he really dead? Or is like I mean no, I don't he, know. I mean he he, he got he, really la- dead? he got lasered in the back. Yes, he's dead. They buried him. <laughs> I, I, I feel really bad though. Oh, that's is that this is that the is that what he left at the at the end of the yeah, episode? Yeah, that he, that was his. He, he buried Kruel. Oh, 
never mind. That's just that's just a uh, disclaimer for old people to drive faster, man. You gotta drive faster. <laughs> get a speeder. Just say, get a speeder. Just say. So just you get a speeder bike, man. Just do don't it. rely yeah. on two-legged lizards to take you where you need to get. But, I, uh, but I, it was nice to hear Nick Nolte, you know, getting work at the, you know, in his 80s. You know, what I mean, almost 80, um, and just being part of something like this. You know, what I mean, that gruffled voice is just so. I don't know. You really like. It was a soothing character. You just really liked it. It's that's it, well, that's kind of shitty that they killed him. But yeah. Um, yeah, and it's kind of curious to see what they're going to do with the uh, the Jedi now that they you know they mentioned the J word finally in the the eighth episode. We hear Jedi being mentioned. So are they going to you know are they going to try to get Baby Yoda to the Jedi? I mean, it's, it's so much can happen in season two. Looking forward to it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I love this first season, and uh, now you see why I was razzing you for a year <laughs> to get you to watch it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's going to do it for us. Uh, I want to thank Alex. Uh, thank you for joining us, man. Uh, where can people find you? Yeah, my YouTube channel is called Star Wars Explained, where we will be covering The Mandalorian Season 2 extensively, along with any other Star Wars content that comes out ever. Uh, our Twitter is also just at Star Wars Explained. And I'm on the Schmodown. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I got, I got that belt I got to defend. Uh, yeah, so, I got to handle that in like three months. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, Russell, uh, where do people find us? Yeah, the Taurus by Chance on Facebook is the group. Go ahead and join that. That's where we put up the polls, where we leave it to you guys to vote on what we review. Um, I think we got some surprises coming down the pike for October, too. We got some good stuff coming up, obviously, our Halloween month again. Um, you guys can also find us on YouTube. Same thing, Notorious by Chance. I think Chance and I are going to be recording a couple episodes here on Thursday. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to be doing uh, Tenet and, I believe, uh, New Mutants, which should be exciting. Oh, yeah. So check us out there. And if I'm at Twitter, it's going to be Chance Wars underscore 91. And I also can be in the Schmodown. I have a, I too have a title I need to defend in uh, about a couple weeks. Uh, October 16th, I'll be defending the team's belt against Shazam. I also got a uh, Spectacular this year. I'll be fighting for the Inner Geekdom title. That's going to be fun. And, uh, yeah, it's going to do it for us. Uh, give us a subscribe. Give us a rating. And we will see you next week where we do where we bring Guest Ember to an end with one, the only, Mike Kalinowski for some 90s comic book movie fun. That's going to be great. <laughs> I can't wait. And, uh, yeah, we will see you next time.